You're listening to episode 143 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Sean, we are here. It is San Diego San Diego Comic-Con week. Excuse me. I'm so excited I can barely contain my energy. And, you know, I, I got to say, I think I think we finally got the formula right. You know, uh, these guys have been dropping off like flies this last couple weeks. And, you know, we realize we're here at the biggest week. We have all this news. We don't need any of those people. We have us, you and I. We're the cream of the crop. And as we know, the cream always rises to the top. Thank you. Yes. The immortal, the immortal words of Macho Man Randy Savage. That's exactly You don't even right. need Phil to make wrestling jokes. Like, I, I got it enough. You know, like. Yeah. yeah absolutely. We, we, we can easily adopt all of their, uh, all of the best parts about each of them. Shit, so, we could just pretend Marco's on the show. No one would even know. Yep, that's what I was gonna say. You know, we're 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 doing Marco when we stay silent. <laughs> that might be a problem for me, but you can cover that part. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out this is episode one hundred and forty three. Thank you for joining us. Uh this is the I Love You episode, right? One four three. Do you know about that? Oh, no. I don't know what that is, but I love that it's the I Love You episode and we got rid of all the guys I love less than you. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in, uh, I don't know when this was founded, but uh, so one is I, right? Love, four-letter word, and then you, three-letter three word. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used to use, I heard they used to use in, like in the beeper or something. Because you could send messages. Mm. I heard that 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 they used to do that, and then in text message, once we got texts and and you know early oh, that internet shit went shit. out the window. Well, <laughs> no, like early early internet. That was one of the first like uh, shorthands, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so fascinated by that stuff, you know. Yeah, me too. Like, me- you remember Leet? Yes, of course. <laughs> How could I forget? R. That was the first. That was one of, again one of the first things I learned, internet wise, was Leet, OMG. The, those early days when you were discovering new uh, internet language all the time. Those are fun times. Yeah, um, I do. I do miss the early days of the internet when it was the wild west. Yeah, yeah. So as Pete mentioned at the top, this is San Diego Comic Con week. Lots of reasons to be excited. Uh, if you're over there, well, if I guess if you were over there and you're listening to this now, hope you had a great time. Um, we've got a lot of big news to talk about. This week we're going to cover the first half of the event, so everything that happened between Thursday and uh, Friday night. And then next week we'll be talking about everything that happened from Saturday to Sunday. So that's when we're probably going to be talking more about like the movie stuff. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that to discuss, but for us, it's too early. So that stuff hasn't actually happened in San Diego. It's only 9am. So they're not really into the thick of things yet. Um, but we, we got you covered for everything else. And of course, uh, flying overhead in San Diego right now, right over that convention center, whatever the hell it's called, is a plane with a banner that simply reads, Release the Snyder Cut. So, <laughs> hopefully that'll why, do it. Why am I not surprised? 
hey, man, there is an elite group of people who really want this Snyder Cut to be released, and uh, they're going to get their way one day. Maybe. Possibly. Probably not. This is one of those things at this point where I'm just like, just... Like just do it and make the fucking buck, man. Yeah, I would. Like, I would absolutely buy it, one hundred percent. I don't have Justice League on DVD. I have no intention of buying it unless they release the Snyder Cut. Um. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, I, I feel like it's one of those things where I, I I don't know that I'd like buy it, but it's probably the one thing that would actually make me want to watch that movie again, just for historical purposes, just yeah. so that we could watch it, and then and then I could go on our show and be like, you know what? I like the regular one better. And then all the fucking Snyder fanboys can fucking shower me with their hate. It, it'll it probably be that. I saw a tweet that said, wouldn't it be great if they finally released the Snyder Cut and all the people who were looking for it are like, it was okay. Yo, or like, can you imagine if they like trashed it? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. Unfortunately, I know that those people are so committed to their cause that they will not trash it. They will right. love it no matter no. what's on it. Totally I want right. to watch it because... There's been so much conversation that um, I just want to see what Scott Snyder or Scott Snyder, not Scott Snyder, Zack Snyder's vision was for the movie, and if it was trash. And I mean, it probably was, but who knows? My, um, my whole problem, though, is like even to do that, right? And I would do it for the show. You know, I would do anything for the show, but that means I would have to watch another movie made by that guy again. And as soon as as soon as soon I saw Justice League, I was like, I'm done. I'm good. I never have to watch another Zack Snyder movie again, ever. And I won't. His next well, movie's going to be The Fountainhead, dude. He, he, oh, he yeah, He's going right. from trying to turn Batman and Superman into Ayn Randian figures to actually making a movie based on a book written by Ayn Rand. It's just like... I can't with this guy. I can't with him. I, I'm so... I hate him so much, Sean. That's intense. Uh, I mean, not him. Like, whatever. Like, I, he's just a person. But that... I hate his movies. <laughs> I sure hate his art. Uh, so, in a moment, I'm going to make good on a promise that I made last week at the end of the show. For those of you who can't listen to the whole thing sometimes, uh, I'm going to tell a story about everyone's pal, Steven, who reached out to me to speak about Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, (laughs) I can't believe this guy just keeps calling you. (laughs) Our most recent conversation was 45 minutes, so I'm going to get into that here in a second. You got to start charging him by the hour, dude. Right? Um, But before I do that, I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We are on most podcast hosting platforms. If we're not on your favorite one, let us know, and we'll jump on there for you guys. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You're going to want to follow us because we've been posting some pretty cool content over there. Uh, from Pete, we've got the Comic Book History, which is a pretty cool short video that just talks a little bit about uh, something that happened this what this week, this month in comic book history. Uh, Phil does Phil's notes, which is... Uh, the video that actually got Sabella back on the show, um, where Phil just pulls a book off his bookshelf and reads it and reviews it in a short uh, Instagram, Twitter video. Uh, we've got Kale, who posts like kaiju content, and Marco posts whatever the hell Marco wants. So, lots of cool stuff over on our social media pages. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com and, uh, you know, hit us with all your thoughts about the show and anything else that you're into. We actually have some stuff to read for you guys a little bit later 
uh, listener mail. And I want to make a, a, a note of something, actually. Uh, someone reached out to us on Twitter and uh, he he essentially said, he asked us, oh, you guys, you know, why don't you read your your Twitter mentions on the air? You know, I want to interact with you, but you guys don't read them. The reason we weren't reading them is because we weren't getting them. And we're not sure why. I've actually seen, now that this happened, I've seen other people say this, that they don't get all their mentions. So um, if you've reached out and we've ever not responded, it's only because of that. There's no yeah, other reason. We respond to everybody. Even yeah. if we don't read you on the air, Like we'll always respond to your messages. So if we're ever ghosting you, like just send us an email. It's like something's wrong. That is the best way to get at us is through the email. We always respond to our emails 100% of the time, whether it's on the air or as Pete said, just you know, a, a written note to the person. Um, but again, if you want to get us, the absolute best way to ensure we see it is through our email. That's the comicspals at gmail.com. So make sure to hit us over there. Now, I want to talk about Steven. So I, I also really want to talk about Steven. Because <laughs> this uh, guy, man. I was actually on the phone with my aunt discussing, you know, unrelated matters. And he walks by. And he's like, is that Sean? She's like, yeah. And he's like, I got to talk to him. This guy's got a problem, man. <laughs> I know. So Is he your aunt his boss? Uh, no, not his boss. Okay, so they're just like coworkers. Yes. That's still really funny to me. Like, I can't imagine my coworker coming over to me and interrupting a conversation <laughs> with my nephew to be like, "I need to yell at your nephew about his podcast." It's so funny. <laughs> I love this guy. He's it's... such a fucking character. <laughs> <laughs> So he so he calls and he, he gets on the call and again with him it's very much not a social call. So it's not a there's no preamble. There's no hey how you doing? It's just like so I heard your podcast. I heard your episode about Spider-Man. I'm like, "Okay. Send an email, bro." <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh so he's like, "I have a lot of thoughts." He's like, "You know, I mostly agreed with you." Uh he's like, "I I I liked what you guys had to say about the movie for the most part, but there was some stuff I really didn't get. And I was like, all right, let's hear it. Um, so he, first he grilled me. He said, so do you think this movie is better than Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man two, the Sam Raimi film? And I'm like, no, he said, good, good. Because I don't think it is either. I said, okay. All right. Uh, he's like, there's a lot of stuff I like, but I hate how far it deviates away from the comics. He's like, what was that Mary Jane? I don't like Mary Jane. I'm like, okay, but it's not Mary Jane. It's whatever her name is. Uh, yeah. I can't even remember right now. Um, and he's like, yeah, but I don't like this version. He's, he's like, and he's like, I agree with you. Like, this is not, because that's what I said on the show, too. I didn't like right. the, you know. Um, he's like, this is not the MJ that I know. And I hate when they change the characters. So you know, okay, fine. We're 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 in agreement so far. You know, he's yelling at you. Like. Yeah, like the tone. I'm not even really replicating his tone all the way. Like he's speaking very fast, very firm. Like he is not happy, right? Yeah. Um, and he said that basically, he said to keep it short, he loves the action, right? He thought all the action was good, but the movie not. was boring until Mysterio. He said he's seen it five times. I was like, when? 
when did you do like when did you do this you have a full-time job like you're Dude, you know. every night every night he's going and seeing him or far from home and he's got a notebook and he's like i'm gonna fucking nail sean dude i'm gonna hit him with these hot takes so his face is gonna melt seriously he's telling me about all his friends uh their opinions he told me about some girl oh that saw it with him that hated it until Mysterio and then only liked it after he gave the movie a uh what do you say a, a seven no it was a six he gave it a six mm, yeah um which is so I he, think it's low yeah he's got garbage takes just like Phil exactly yeah. and of course again he had to bring up Dark Phoenix he's like you know can't believe you like that movie <laughs> he's, well he's like <laughs> he's like Spider-Man is my Phoenix so I'm I'm gonna be as critical about this as you should have been about Dark Phoenix. <laughs> what do you What do you mean, man? I I liked it. What do you want from me? But man, um, Spider Man's my Phoenix, and I was just as critical. And it's like you could still you could still enjoy it, man. That's it, it could be you know, good. My my whole thing, right, is and I've said this on the show plenty of times. When you're as you know as deep uh, and and true a Spider Man fan as I am, my friend, you've seen it all. You've read it all. I'm fucking can, can, and swerve, swerve me a little bit, give me something different, and I and I'm happy about it. You know, it doesn't yeah. need to all be shot for shot for the comics. You know why? Because I read the comics and I read them multiple times, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I I just saw the Lion King remake, and it's almost shot for shot verbatim. Right, and uh. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, I love The Lion King. Yo, Sean, this is why we're boys. I used to, I watched that movie every day for yeah, like too. over a year when I was a little kid. Yeah, every day. And yeah. um, the new one, it doesn't have the same magic because it's the same exact thing right. for the most part. There's some stuff they take, they took out, but um, it's almost the exact same thing, but it doesn't. But it's not the same thing because it's not the same voice actors. It doesn't look the same. So it's kind of like a weird, um, you know, chimera of a thing. That's how I feel about Watchmen. Well, like it's so right, and then that's cool, right? Like my the whole point though is I feel like if all you're trying to do is go shot for shot, like you you should like you should say your own thing. You know, you should take the spirit of that. To me, those are the best adaptions you know like when you take like what makes something special and you get it and you understand it and you're able to make it new again yeah yeah i think i think there's some merit to that um so yeah thanks steven for the call uh they certainly feel more like therapy therapy sessions uh than you know conversations but uh you can expect a bill from the pals network llc right Oh, then he was he was trying to figure out what was going to happen in Phase Four of Marvel, and I'm like, you know, listen to my podcast, buddy. Yeah, um, we talk about we got we got four episodes about yeah. it, brother. <laughs> I've done the work already for you, bro. Yo, next Go. time he asks you something like that, you should just like pull up like your phone and just be like, episode one uh, thirty. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what makes this so fun for me is that he doesn't actually listen to every episode; he listens just the to the reviews. Ones where we review movies, so that's how I slide under the radar with him. Otherwise, I'd get a call every week. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But since we're talking about listeners, let's get into some listener mail. This week we've got 
uh, a piece of mail from Ryan, who is a regular writer. Yeah, so Ryan wrote in and he said, Hi, pals. I hope this email finds you well. First, let me say that I disagree with the guy who is critical of your comedic bits. Keep the jokes coming and keep my coworkers thinking me of thinking of me as the weird guy who laughs to himself. Well, I appreciate that one. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> one of you mentioned the Wildstorm on a recent episode. I've been reading this lately. I loved Ellis's run on The Authority, and I love this too. Ellis is not only great at storytelling, but also at writing dialogue. The characters in the Wildstorm have a lot of clever quips and one-liners, and it really makes their personalities come out. Yeah, that was Phil that mentioned the Wildstorm. He's been reading it, and he's been really loving it. Uh, I've never read it, and I want to. But uh, Warren Ellis is a genius comic book writer, and that nothing that you said surprises me there. Yeah, Warren Ellis is a true G. Uh, I've also taken a liking to Cullen Bunn lately. I just read the volume, the first volumes of Bone Parish and the Brothers Dracul, and I'm totally on the Bun train now. <laughs> <laughs> With horror, it's easy to become overly invested in the actual horror aspect of it, but Bun always puts the characters first, and that's what I value most as a reader. I agree with you there. Yeah, uh, I've always been not a fan of Cullen Bunn, but that's because I had only read his... Um, Superhero stuff. Superhero right? stuff, yes. And then I read uh, the first volume of Harold County for uh, for something we were doing, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So it doesn't surprise me what you're saying here, and I'm sure that Marco will be very happy to hear you feel this way. He's a big I don't. Fan. I wish Marco was here because he'd probably remember the name of the book that I'm thinking of. But uh, when Sarah and I first started seeing each other, like the first comic she ever read cover to cover was one of his like one shots. Oh, um, wow. And was suit because she's like a huge horror nut and was like super into it. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. My man's got chops. Uh, you guys mentioned that the Sandman TV series might inspire you to check out the comic. I've had this happen often. Like, Phil, the Daredevil show inspired me to check out some DD comics starting with Brubaker's run. Now the Brubaker and Bendis runs are two of my favorite Marvel story arcs. I also had this experience with The Walking Dead. So did I. First it was the show. Then my friend encouraged me to read the comics. I devoured the first two compendiums, and then I started reading comics again after many years of not doing so. I discovered Saga, plenty of awesome image books, and the Vertigo catalog. I'll always have The Walking Dead to thank for that, and I'm sad to see it go. The last issue was masterful. It's exactly what we were talking about, man, in that main topic that we had, what, two weeks ago on the Legacy yeah. of the Walking Dead? It's exactly what we were talking about, about how many people did that happen for, right? And it's like, Ryan, who's here, writes in all the time, right? Wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Walking Dead. Yeah, I feel like the Walking Dead deserves a lot more praise for that than it gets, and it's kind of a thing where you can't really uh, evaluate that. There's no ticker. There's no, no. You know, there's no numbers that you can refer to, but I think... If you're a reader of comics and you're paying attention to how other people experience the books, you know this without really needing the numbers. You just yeah. know. Yep. I, I think that's true. And I don't know. I think The Walking Dead is one of those books that like gets a lot of flack that's undeserved and is like the clout and the status that it achieved is absolutely because of that. You know? So, yeah. Totally agree with you there, man. I'm looking uh, forward to getting to that last issue. Haven't uh, haven't caught up there yet. I just bought it for ten effing dollars. Damn, at Midtown Comics. They Fuck. juiced it. But you know what? They do it because people walk in there and they buy the issues and then they resell them for thirty bucks. So Midtown's perspective is: well, if you're gonna cash in, then we don't want to. You know, we want to make some of that too. Um, I'm not that type of person. That's not how I do things. Um, but you know, I paid the price to get the book, man. Shit. I didn't think about that. I have to go 
track down that copy before it's like a nuts thing to find, which is ridiculous. Oh, shit. Uh, if you can't find it, I'll give you mine. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, now I have a couple randoms for you. Spider-Man life story is incredible. I thought Chip's other Spider-Man series was a little too jokey. This one is perfect. I think you kind of felt the same way when you read it, right, Sean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah life story. I, I know I mentioned it last week. I really want to pick it up now that the whole thing's out. So I'm, I'm probably going to read it this week. So, yeah, we should read about it and talk, on the show about, talk about it on the show or something. Mm-hmm. I really want to do that as a book club. Yeah, maybe we'll get around to that. One of these days. Point. Next yeah. time I have a free spot, maybe I'll, I'll pick that one. Uh, while discussing Lindelof's Watchmen, one of you mentioned The Leftovers. Let it be known that I think The Leftovers is one of the greatest shows of all time. Just had to get that out. Also, thanks for your New York Comic Con advice. Hope to see you there. Sincerely, Ryan. We will definitely see you there, my friend. Yes. Uh, my girlfriend keeps trying to get me to watch The Leftovers. I want to because I am a fan of uh, Damon Lindelof, although most people turn their back on him. Uh, I'll watch it eventually, and I'll let you know what I think. But, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for writing in, Ryan. Always a pleasure to hear from you, man. And, uh, again, if you guys want to hit us up the way that Ryan did, um, we will read your comments on the air. Uh, you can do so by hitting us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. But we're not done yet. We've got a little more stuff from you guys. Uh, this is actually from Twitter. Yeah, so we mentioned before that we had uh, a listener who was trying to hit us up on Twitter um, and for whatever reason was like getting buried in our mentions. Um, so this comes from Steve, uh, at LeftWing79 on Twitter, who um, sent us a bunch of messages since March that we wanted to just catch up on a few of them um, and you know apologize for not getting back to you until now, Steve. But uh, yeah. obviously, we already talked to you on Twitter. We cleared the air. We know it's all good, but we wanted to get your thoughts out there and, uh, and get to respond to some of these. Um, so the first one, this is all the way back from March 4th. And he goes, philosophy caveman, this issue sucked, lol. Hashtag heroes in crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. Yeah, oh well, you're not going to hear a disagreement from either one of us. That was my favorite issue of Heroes in Crisis. Oh, right, says, it was. That's, but that says so much about how bad Heroes in Crisis was. That entire review was me and Marco just being like, dude, I mean, at least at least this tried to do something, I guess. Like, the, <laughs> it wasn't related to the rest of the story, and I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> Fucking terrible. Uh, on, that, on that note, I'm just going to throw this in since we're on the subject of Heroes in Crisis. Tom King had a spotlight uh, panel at... Um, San Diego Comic Con, and uh-huh. he had this to say about about that uh, about that story. He says people fucking hated Heroes in Crisis so much. I've never written something someone hated so much, but I love it. I think I got the message I wanted to get across. I think killing Wally West it was a tough hill for people to climb. And then uh, Mitch Jared said it all made sense. When bad things happen to characters, it's earned in a way. Everything led to that moment, and it had to be that. That's the point of that story. When you break, you do it out of character. You don't break in character. And then King followed up by saying, Wally was my Flash growing up. He was the Peter Parker of the DCU. It was tough on him because it was like the symbol of rebirth killing people. First of all, Wally doesn't murder anyone. That doesn't happen. There's heroism to being vulnerable. To always say I'm strong is not to be strong. It's to be arrogant. What do you think about that? I I mean, I appreciate that they stand by the work um, and that they 
are happy with what they did. I I just gotta disagree. Um, I don't I don't agree with Mitch saying that it all makes sense. I think if there's one thing I could say about Heroes in Crisis is that I, I wouldn't say that it all made sense. You know, like and I think like those those are those are nice things to say about it and about what the intent was and what they were trying to get across. But like obviously that didn't connect with a lot of readers. Cause to me, I like I mean this with absolutely no malice. I don't give a fuck about Wally West at all. So to me, it wasn't because they killed Wally. That wasn't a, a hard hill for me to climb. I thought it was a bad book. And it's a, and I think it's a bad book by two creators who I really like and who I really respect. Um, I, you know, I, I love Tom King. I love Mitch Gerads, but I think this one was a miss across the board. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hey, if you love the story you told, that's awesome. But uh, it's just kind of hard to it's it's hard to accept that a story could be this um, this bad, like two creators that good. So, yeah, but it happens, man. It's like everybody misfires. And we had plenty of speculation on why we feel like that was the case. Like, you know, it is what it is. And like some people liked it. Some people didn't time to move on exactly so we'll move on to more uh from steven right yeah yeah yes. i think just steve but steve okay um but yeah uh so on may 7th steve hit us up and said at comics pals uh i've seen endgame seven times so far do <laughs> i say this to brag a little <laughs> mainly to echo whoever mentioned the amc a-list pass on that last episode get it <laughs> so yo that's a ring endorsement of a-list my man saw endgame seven times on may 7th no less that's like the movie had been out for like two weeks like <laughs> dude there's got to be some kind of like award for you man because that is <laughs> that is intensity like what i said earlier about steven having seen far from home five times uh and that remember that conversation happened last week not this week um or actually it happened Earlier than that, because I was off, it happened during the week I was off the show or whatever. I think. Okay, yeah. Um, so, so that's two weeks now, three weeks. Y- yeah, like he's at that point he had seen it that many times, so he's not. But um, yeah, wow. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I I've seen it only uh, three times. I think so. I'm behind you, but uh, I'm still sitting at one. So you taking me to the fucking cleaners on that one, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then on June 12th, uh, he said, love the book clubs. Keep them up. Appreciate that. Speaking of which, go check out our book clubs. They're pretty great. Yes. We just did one the other day that I'm so excited for y'all to listen to on Silver Surfer Requiem. Uh, that was quite a quite a ride. So that one's coming up. Yeah. Eventually. I don't know. It's like two from now, I think. We haven't put out Howard the Duck yet. So it's it's we got some time on it, but it's going to be good. Um. So, uh, and then on June 24th, Sean, I think you'll appreciate this one. Steve said, please do a Secret Empire book club. Just started reading it last week so far. I really like it. That's, that's awesome. Uh, one of these days we got to do that one. Yeah. I, it always makes me happy to see someone liking a book that's not, um, that's not conventionally acceptable. Yeah. That's got a bad rap. Yeah. Like. No, I've never read someone say I've never seen someone say Secret Empire was bad. I've never ever seen that. I've they just only hate it. Yeah, I've only ever seen people say they hated 
the book itself, but mostly it's more often than not just the fact that Cap is a member of Hydra. It never has anything to do with the quality of literally a single thing that came out during that era. I feel like that's very much how I feel about uh, Superior Spider-Man too, because like I know that there are people who have told me that it's a really good run, but I'm just like so like upset by it in principle that I'm just like I don't want to like it, I don't want to read it, you know. And it's like I feel like a lot of people get like that with shit, you know, where you're like, "This is my Captain America. He would never be a Nazi. He would never be an Hydra." <laughs> and 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 the funny thing about that sentiment is that you're right because it's it's not there. It's not your Captain America. It's, it's not actually mine. not. It's literally. literally not. It's nice. You know, <laughs> that's the funniest thing about it. Just like Superior Spider-Man is literally not Spider-Man. Right. So it's like, it's fine, guys. It's funny because I, I remember, like, I, I had a very visceral reaction to that news when they first, like, and the way that they publicized it and everything, you know? Um, like, I forget. I think it was, like, in the New York Times or something. It was, like, yeah. some article. Yeah. And I remember I was, like... I was part of the hate train for it. And a lot of people were like, I remember like uh, a, a friend of the show who I, I, uh, I won't even name just in case um, was like giving me shit about it, you know, just like, Oh really, man? Like you're like getting caught up in this too. Like, come on, like just let the story be the story. And I'm like, Oh no, I don't care about them doing it from a story perspective. The fact that they're like publicizing it like this and making it like this big, it's like, this is why I'm so fucking frustrated with Marvel. You know, like I just hated, it's like, just let it happen in the fucking story. And then people would have like known the context of it. And the story would have probably not been as reviled. I don't think if they didn't make it like this big media event, before it even happened, like, oh, Captain America's a Nazi now. Oh, my God. You know? Right. It was right. just a headline. And I was just like, come on, man. It's, like, so, like, cheap. Like, you're doing it at the expense of the book. Yeah, and I think they probably don't see it that way. Um, they probably see it as an opportunity to get the word out and get more people to buy the comic. Um, I don't know that they anticipated people burning the book. That's pretty embarrassing. But uh, I mean, it's embarrassing for the people doing it. But um, yeah, uh, that's like yeah. I don't I don't think that anyone who ever like burns a book or destroys like a, a piece of merchandise like that, like I don't think it ever gets across the message that you think it does. You know, to me, it gets across the message that you're a dumbass. Yeah, that you gave them your money so that you could literally you might as well have just sent them a video of you burning three dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. <laughs> Way to stick it to Marvel, guys. Like, you yeah. Still got your money. You made it one of the best selling books of the years, you fucking dumbasses. Yeah. <laughs> so, is there any more? No, no, that's that's it. Oh, so cool. thanks. Thanks a lot, Steve. And uh, if if this happens again, just email us, let us know. We'll we'll dig through, we'll find them, we'll see what, what we got to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're we're always happy to read messages from you guys. It, it really um, it really validates what we do beyond just doing it so um yeah thank you uh let's jump into the palace polls so from you pete we've got life is strange number seven yeah um it's funny because i put it on uh my palace polls list this week and then the life is strange twitter put out this nice little like graphic animation like advertising the book and it was like are you excited and i was like you know what i am i'm I, i'm talking about it on my show today yes <laughs> nice <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, I talked about uh, this book a few times on the show already. Um, 
but particularly when I finished the first volume about how I really am loving loving this comic and uh, it's a really, really cool continuation of Max and Chloe's story from the original Life is Strange. And uh, normally, like, licensed comics are just not my thing um, because I feel like it's tough often to translate like the voice right and and get you know the same tone and and make it feel authentic to the world that was created somewhere else um but this book is just really nailing it you know and and i might be give willing to give it a little bit more rope because of how much i love life is strange and want more of the story but um similar to your reaction to the current run of like buffy books i feel like it's just like they're just getting it right you know like it, it it's it feels good and it feels like a natural um, next step and elevation of stakes for what what I knew from Life is Strange one, you know, um, and I think it's cool because you know, like Life is Strange two is out, and I've been enjoying what I've been playing of it and everything, but you know, I do miss that original cast of characters. So the fact that I have this way to keep up with them, you know, is uh, something that I'm really appreciating. So uh, if you're like Ryan, um, I believe, who wrote in and, and said how much yes. I turned him on to Life is Strange and, and fell in love with it. Um, I know there are a few of you out there who did give it a shot because I did. And, you know, if uh, you know if I can mention this book a few more times and, and get a couple more people to jump on, hopefully keep it running, uh, I'm certainly going to do that because I'm really enjoying the ride. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I think uh, it's always cool when a licensed property ends up being good um you know we pete and i are both uh obviously big video game fans and we know the pain of playing a very bad uh licensed video game often with superheroes in them so (sighs) r.i.p but yeah so when you get something like this where it's you can tell it's people that really love the source material and have a clear vision for where it should go and who the characters are and what they should sound like um, while also like adding a lot of new characters and like bringing a lot of new stuff to the table that actually like feels like worthwhile, that's not easy to do. Um, so yeah, big ups to that whole that whole team, you know, from editorial to to staff. So I chose uh, two books. The first one is Batman: Curse of the White Knight. I'm so excited for this book. So this is the sequel to the yeah. White Knight storyline, right? Yeah. So okay. Sean Murphy. This is Sean Murphy's Batman universe. Yeah. It's it's uh, not in continuity. Um, I don't know if this is this is no. This is Black Label. This is Black Label. Yeah, 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 um, for sure. And the first one was so unbelievably good that I can't wait for this. They're introducing Azrael into this world. And Ooh. Yeah. Um, if That's you didn't. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say that's really interesting, given what the how Batman is in this world. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you didn't check out the the original White Knight uh, by Sean Murphy, um, it's it's you know it's a it's a it's Batman and it's Joker, but it's not exactly how you know them. Uh, this Joker has um, lost his insanity. Gained his sanity, however you want to phrase it, um, through a miracle drug. And he still has his fixation on Batman, but it's a little different now. And Batman is a little grumpier, a little gruffer. 
not as connected to people or the world, but he's still Batman and he still has his fixation on the Joker because he doesn't believe he's reformed. And so it kind of shifts their dynamic in a compelling way and places Harley Quinn at the center of that also in a compelling way. So I'm excited to see how he flips the script this time around using Asriel as I would imagine the centerpiece figure of this story. Yeah, so. I'm I'm interested in this one too. Just like I never read the original White Knight, but both you and Andy um like really sold its praises. So I like it's a book I've like wanted to pick up and read, you know, it's another one that I would be like, "Oh, I'd love to do a book club on that kind of thing." Um but now that like this is coming out and it's like kind of back on my radar, I'm like, "Oh, maybe I should pick that up and just like bang it out in a weekend and then check this out." I think, I think it's worth literally everyone's time. Because it's what? It's like, it's not very, it's like six issues, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. And they're all fun. Uh, the other the other book I chose is House of X number one. Uh, I, oh man, I can't freaking wait for this book. This is um, Jonathan Hickman finally taking over the X-Men line of comics. Um, and... I don't know what to expect. I genuinely don't because Jonathan Hickman can do anything, I'm convinced, in, in, in the comic space. And he loves to write weird stuff. And I've been following his books for a really long time at this point, And they're all different and they're all crazy. Um, so he brought me back with the, with the Avengers. I was in love with his run. After falling off a little bit with what Bendis was doing, um, I loved, loved, loved his Avengers. New Avengers, one of my favorite books of all time. So hopefully he can find that magic again with House of X and Powers of X. We're going to be reviewing both series on this on this podcast. So next week you can expect a review of House of X number one. Uh, yeah, yeah this, can't wait. This is a, 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 a book I'm definitely like... I'm cautiously op- optimistic about it. Like I, I, I want to be really excited for it because you know I again I, I think Hickman is a fantastic writer. I was a big fan of his Fantastic Four stuff um, back in like 2010, maybe I, I was in high school. I think when I read it, um, and uh, you know he's he's definitely capable of the kind of run that you're talking about of getting things back on track and you know, giving us like a nice fresh jumping on point for things to hopefully move forward with the X-Men brand. But I am like so cautiously optimistic because I don't want to get overexcited by the idea of like, this is it. This is going to be the thing that gets me back in X-Men. It's going to be all good now. And it's like, I, I hope that's true. But I also like, we don't know like what, the long-term plans are like how long is he going to be around like what is the next step going to be so i i just i i'm ex- i'm looking forward to these first issues and just seeing what what it feels like and how what my reaction is to it um but i'm not i, I don't know that i'm hype yet you know like i, I want to be hype but i'm afraid i'm gonna read it and not have not get what exactly what i want out of it you know so i'm, yeah. I'm trying to measure expectations I think that's fair. Um, Hickman 
is hyping this big time, and uh, that gives me a lot of confidence. And also want to mention the art is by Pepe Larraz on this first issue, or, or I should say on House of X, and he is brilliant, so very good stuff there. Um, now we're going to jump into the news. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, but before we like get into the real meat, I did want to quickly ask you, just because it came out this week, um, are you did you did you get to see the little teaser that they put out for the Walking Dead movie? Oh no. Okay. So I didn't um, even see that that was a thing. Yeah. So they they announced it and talked about it uh, uh, yesterday, and. There's nothing much to the teaser, actually. It don't really show much of anything. But what what we did learn, the specific thing, is that this is actually releasing in theaters, whereas we originally thought what? it was just going to be on TV. So it's actually going to be in theaters. That's um, wild. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the it's it's going to be a Rick Grimes movie. That's the that's the plan. And is AMC still like involved? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's I believe it's is what is it? Scott Gimple? I forget who yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the showrunner, I think. Um, yeah. So everything is the same as what we originally heard, but now it's it'll not. It's not on AMC television. It's in theaters. I don't know if it'll go to AMC later. It probably will, probably. but it's coming out in theaters. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What? A, that's that's wild. Mm-hmm. Yo, um, remind me, I have something interesting to tell you about The Walking Dead that's like a, I can't say it on air, but it's, oh. yeah, it's, right. it's a little, it's a little behind the seat. I could probably talk about it eventually on the show, but right now it's like a little, interesting. under wraps. Cool, well, uh, we'll keep that under wraps for now and instead talk about someone who's calling it a wrap. Alan Moore has retired from comics. What a segue, man, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for those of you who are big fans of him, you could have seen this coming because he did say that he was going to do this. Um, he told the guardian in 2016 that he would be retiring from comics with the end of the league of extraordinary gentlemen. Uh, and the final issue came out on Wednesday. So, uh, that's it. That's the end of what was a, 20-year career that uh, spanned, obviously, two decades and um, a lot of changes in the industry. And some of those changes were driven by him. So, you know, a lot of people don't like him. You know, whatever you think of Alan Moore, it's hard to argue with the fact that he did a lot for this industry. Um, You're talking about the guy who created, obviously, Watchmen, but not just Watchmen, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Vendetta, uh, V for Vendetta. Uh, Promethea, From Hell, uh, so many different things that he touched. Um, and a lot of, you know, all of those things actually that I just mentioned are not superhero comics. So in a lot of ways, we do owe the exist. I mean, you know, argue all day about superhero, whether Watchmen is a superhero comic. It's not a big two book, right? It's like Batman's not in it. Um, it's a deconstruction. It's like, you know. Yeah. So it's its own thing. In a lot of ways, we owe where we're at now with um, indies and stuff to Alan Moore's work outside of uh, the superhero scope. 
And uh, I don't think that gets talked about enough. I think he deserves a lot of credit for where this industry is right now. Yeah, and not him alone, of course. But, I mean, you know, I, I think it's hard to argue that he was one of the, you know, uh, like bricks through the window, you know? Um, he was definitely there at the front lines. And, uh, yeah, I mean, say what you will about Alan Moore as a guy, you know? Like, he, by all accounts, kind of seems like he's kind of a asshole. Um, but, you know, he's also one of the greatest talents that this industry's ever been, or the medium's ever been blessed with, you know? Um, and I, I think that you're right that, like, his, the, the strides that he made as a creator who fought for creative control and creative rights, um, is something that isn't talked about enough. You know, we talk about the quality of his books and the legacy of, or the shadow that some of them cast. You know, you talk about Swamp Thing and, and Watchmen and V for Vendetta and all these books, but, you know, like, the the man was also a pretty influential guy in terms of how comics are made now and, like, what tastes are like now, you know? Uh, sure. That, 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 I, I don't think that, that that should go without saying, you know? And uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of Alan Moore. You know, the, some of his books are some of my favorite books, and some of the books that were, you know, the most formative for me in terms of like coming to the interest level that I have in comics now. You know, like going from being like I'm a kid that likes Spider Man and like grew up liking Spider Man to being somebody that was interested in the craft and the history of comics. That's all because of Watchmen. You know, and like it, it's so popular that it's like trite to talk about its legacy. But like, you know, it's Alan Moore, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, Marco would murder me if I didn't mention his contributions to Swamp Thing. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, the Killing Joke, which you know, he's uh, a lot of people have turned on that book. I think it's great. Whatever. I agree. Um, do you think that Alan Moore is the greatest comic book writer of all time? I think he's in that conversation. You know, I think it's 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 tough for me to label any one talent as the best anything at anything. You know, because like, I'm like, comics are so broad. And the difference between, like, what Alan Moore's work is representative of the best of and what, you know, somebody like Grant Morrison's work is representative of the best of. And it's, like, night and day. And, like, the goals are different and what they, you know, like, so it, it's, like, I, I think when you're talking about the greatest comic book writer of all time, if Alan Moore doesn't come up in that conversation, like, you're dead wrong. But... To just say he's the greatest of all time feels like a little bit, um, for me, it's flippant. That's the kind of thing that, like, if I was going to make that claim, we'd have to get in a room and talk about it for 50 hours and, like, have charts and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, like, I'd have to really get in the mud before I'd be comfortable giving him that crown. But um, there's a clear case to be made, I think, for sure, right? Yeah, I think if there were to be a Mount Rushmore of comics... 
He'd erected, be on he would be on it. Hundred percent. I think if you are in any industry, if that can be said about you, that's uh, that's about as good as it gets, right? So he did have one last shot to take, one last bullet in the chamber. Of course, he did. And uh, do you think so, he did some snake magic? <laughs> he he uh, he loved to put fake mail in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen issues, and it was just fake mail that he would write, and that him and uh, Kevin O'Neill, the artist on the book, could respond to. So um, I'm gonna read it. I'm going to read the response. It's pretty good stuff. So here's the mail that was sent to him. I mean, sent to him. Dear Al and Kev, as a middle-aged conservative incel sitting wedged behind my keyboard, trolling Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with my Batman t-shirt covered in Pringles, can I just ask with a straight face why you're leaving the comics business? Yours, Hiram J. Comicsgate III, Okla Hodayo. Hodayo. That's a tough one. Hodayo. <laughs> yes, Hiram. Our well, old I, think tes- I think that's Hiram. Hiram, okay. Yes, Hiram. Our Old Testament, you apparently can. And with that, as the ghost of Peggy Mount asks us to lift our feet so that she can hoover under them, we've reached the end of our long-running variety spectacular. Of course, we could never have got this far without the brilliantly inventive chameleon lettering of Todd Klein taking over from the sublime Bill Oakley or the glorious period-perfect colors of Ben... D- wow. Demagmalu? Demagmalu. Demagmalu. All right. Chaps, it's been an absolute privilege working with you. We made quite a team, didn't we? And you, the readers who've been with us throughout, with us through all this, the people who followed this book because they, you know, enjoyed it and maybe thought that stitching all the world's culture into one ridiculous quilt was an interesting idea, you have always been part of that team. You're the most intelligent and appreciative audience we could have ever hoped for. Your support has meant everything. And that alone in this delirious farrago of illusion and reference is not a fiction so as we canter inexpertly into the smog hopefully in the direction of the sunset we waggle our stetsons ambiguously and wish you all the fondest of farewells from your no longer relevant nonagenarians al and kev i fucking i love him (laughs) that's awesome I, I love him. I love that guy, man. I yeah. mean, again, like say what you will. There's a lot of there's a lot of things you can say about Alan Moore that are negative, but like at the end of the day, he's a crazy old liberal wizard who's written some of my favorite comic books, and I love that weird snake god worshiping bastard. <laughs> yeah, man. I think um I think people get a little bit too up in arms about Alan Moore's personality. He's curmudgeonly. Yeah. Like, he's like Kale. <laughs> it, it doesn't... I've never heard anything about him that was bad behavior. At least yeah. not that I can recall. You know, he's never been involved in, like, a scandal or anything like that. He just, you know, <laughs> he has strong opinions about stuff, and he's not going to budge for anyone. And I think we're too used to 
celebrity figures kowtowing and playing nice in public and just kind of you know trying to appease everybody and that's just yeah. not his way Almore doesn't care about you liking him right exactly he's, he's prickly and he's like fucking fine with that like you know yeah and and you know I, i'm i'm really tired of this world being so you know uh draped in velvet because that's not really the way things work anyways so uh for there to be someone who doesn't give into that is pretty cool Especially when, like, people are, like, you know, like, again, like, he has a reputation for being, like, kind of a jerk or an asshole. But it's, like, the letter to the fans was nice. You know? It's, like. Of course yeah. it was. I He doesn't have problems with the fans, you know? No. It's, like, yeah, he's, like, notoriously hard to work with with, like, publishers that are, like, that take advantage of creators. So it's, like, eh, can't can't be that bad about it. Right. Uh, so hats off to you, Alan Moore, for a great career. He will continue to write, just not comics. So it's not over for him. He's going to do movies, novels, things like that. But for comics, he's done. And who knows? Maybe uh, maybe he'll unretire at some point. That's not unheard of. So. No. He's going to go back to the swamp and work on the next great American novel, though, for now. There or not go. American, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. English. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever the swamp is, I don't know. (laughs) Interdimensional swamp. So, shifting gears, we now know that Taika Waititi's next film will be Thor 4. Not Akira. Uh, He was originally slated to be putting Akira out in uh, 2021. And now that's not happening because of, you know, script problems and stuff like that. So instead, he's going to be doing Thor Part 4. Obviously, he did Thor Ragnarok, which was a smash hit that revitalized not only the Thor genre of films, or not genre, but that, that, you know, those movies, but it also revitalized the Thor character. And Chris Hemsworth is is excited about Thor again, and clearly... um, Taking their cues from what was done in Thor Ragnarok, he was one of the best characters in Infinity War and Endgame. So, this is great news. Yeah, I think this is excellent news. Like, obviously, um, if you were excited for Akira, like, that's, I guess, disappointing. But I feel like the announcement of him directing Akira was very much like, or Akira, I'm not sure which it is. I'm trying to I don't get it right. I know. Um, I feel like that was met with some skepticism and not like outright like hate or like some people obviously are going to fucking hate anything, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the general reaction to that was like, all right, I mean, he's a good director. Like, let's see what he does with it. Right. Um, so the fact that like, that's not even getting canceled, it's just kind of getting shifted back while he works on this thing that we know he can do really well and definitely seemed like he had more to say, um, that seems good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy that they're keeping him in the wheelhouse. I think his voice is one that uh, is unique. I wasn't as big a fan of Thor Ragnarok as most. I certainly enjoyed it, but uh, it represents some of the problems that I do have with the... Marvel Universe, but I certainly can't argue with the fact that it did bring Thor back. And, and it's it's a very competently made film. 
Yeah. You know, like the guy's a good director. Yeah, absolutely. So we will get. Weird. Go ahead. I was going to say, weird though. What do you think is going to happen here now? Do you think a Thor 4 takes place after he's in Guardians 3 and he like decides he's going to go back solo or whatever? Or do you think that we'll see the Guardians in Thor 4 and then maybe Guardians 3 is, is later down the line? Well, let's see. We're in the year of our Lord 2019. They just announced that he's going to be working on this movie. Uh, Akira was, or Akira, whatever the hell, was supposed to come out in 2021. Uh, I I see this movie probably dropping in 2022, if I really had to nail it down. It could come out in 2021, who knows. Either way, it will be before Guardians um, Part 3. And so, with that, I can't imagine that it's going to come out after Guardians or before Guardians 3, but take place after Guardians 3 because that is weird. Right, because it's so, supposed to be in the future or something? Sorry? Isn't Guardians 3 supposed to be further in the future or something? No, Guardians 3 is just, you know, it's going to pick up okay. at some point after. Uh, oh, you know what? That makes sense. Because I remember they said it was going to be years later, but that was before we knew that there was a time jump. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. Okay. So Thor 4 is in a – or Thor – yeah, Thor 4 is kind of a weird movie right now because we don't really know where it's going to take place. But he's with the Guardians. And obviously this is not Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So it's up in the air. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I'm like actually really excited. I'm sorry. What? I like that we don't know. Yeah, me too. I also really like the idea of Taika Waititi getting to work with the Guardians cast. Because I think when we were talking about who would like work on Guardians, like aside from James Gunn, like he was one of the names that came up. And like I wouldn't necessarily want him to do Guardians three, but like if there's like some Guardians representation in Thor four, like that could be fun. Certainly, um, although. I'd, again, I'd really be surprised if he was allowed to do that because uh, James Gunn is very, very much protective of the story of the Guardians, and I don't feel like they're going to let someone else drive that narrative forward post-Endgame. But Well, I, I wonder if it'll be less of a thing of driving the Guardians narrative forward and them helping Thor on a story that's like about him. You know, where it's like in route to whatever the real plot of Guardians 3 is or whatever. or You know, I don't know. Like, obviously, if it's going to come out later, that is weird and stuff. But I don't know. Like, I feel like in the same way that you had Hulk as kind of a supporting character, I could see, like, Rocket or, or you know, like, some segment of the Guardians, like, being like, well, Thor's our boy. Like, we're going to help him get home and do whatever he's got to do. And then we're going to go fuck off and go back to space, you know? Right. I hope so, anyway. That would be fun. We'll see. So we're going to get into the San Diego Comic-Con announcements here in a bit, but there was still a couple of things that did that, did, that got announced uh, prior to that event. Obviously, Taika directing Thor 4 was one of them. DC had a couple of announcements of their own in the comic book world, and so we now know that uh, we're getting a new Birds of Prey monthly comic that's going to feature Harley Quinn, Black Canary, and The Huntress. Uh, that's cool, but I think what's cooler is that uh, 
Brian Azzarello is going to be oh. writing this. Yeah. Cool. With art by Emanuela Lupacino, Ray McCarthy, and Trish Mulvihill. That's an interesting name. Uh, so Brian is obviously a very, very well-known writer. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff in the Batman space. Never quite touched these characters, to my knowledge. But he had this to say about the book. It's cool to have a story to tell about these characters I've never worked on before. With Emma, a terrific artist I've never worked with before. Having Harley involved screws with the new BOP dynamic. Hell, with every dynamic. She's chaos, but she might be the most together member of the team. Canary, Huntress, and Montoya have a lot of damaged baggage. Emma and I are going to unpack it. So that's pretty cool. This is obviously coming out ahead of the Birds of Prey movie. Uh, so that's probably why this is happening. But I think this is a good time to bring these characters together. I, I, I'm not a fan of Harley Quinn kind of needing to have her footprint on everything. It's becoming it's become a Batman, Spider-Man type thing. I would rather see a more traditional group of, of women on this cast. But... If he's got a story to tell, I'm willing to read it. Yeah, I mean, you're a big fan of his stuff, so I mean... Yeah. See what he's got going on here. Yeah, I'll definitely be picking this up. Because I've also never read anything Birds of Prey, so this gives me an opportunity to do so. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, we also have a new announcement. There's, there's like a lot of Batman or Batman-adjacent announcements coming from DC... They might as well just really actually be BC, Batman comics, because that's all they do. Uh, obviously, the announcement I just made, and then this one here, which is a new Batman project from uh, Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch, obviously the creative team behind The Authority. Uh, they're telling a story called Batman's Grave. Which is going to be a 12-issue maxi-series that takes a weird look at Batman. So, uh, basically, this is a story where Batman is going to become obsessed with living living out and living in the, the, the identities and the worlds and lives of these people who have been murdered. To try to get to the bottom of how they died and why they died. Oh. And it's supposed to be a very, like, dark and, and morose take on on Batman. An already dark and morose character. So, um, pretty interesting. Ellis said this about um, his return to Batman. My very first work at DC was two issues of Legends of the Dark Knight. So it's been 25 years since I did a full-length story with the Batman. I've decided to revisit the crime scene where my career in American comics began, and I'm so grateful that my old comrade Brian Hitch is doing this midnight run with me. It's been too many years since we last did a long campaign together. And uh, this is the solicitation that they've come out with for the book. 
The team that brought us the authority now turns their talents toward the world's greatest detective whose current case forces him to inhabit the mind of a murder victim when they have eaten face without filling the empty grave next to those of his parents. Jesus Christ. But first, Ellis and Hitch get into the mind of a butler. Once a week, rain or shine, Alfred Pennyworth walks to a little cemetery plot in the Wayne Manor grounds. He meticulously tends to Thomas and Martha's headstones, plinths and slabs, weeding, cleaning, polishing. But how much longer before there's another Wayne memorial to tend to? Within this dynamic duel's new comic lives a Batman with an almost psychotic identification with murder victims. He immerses himself in their lives and obsesses over every detail of their deaths. Even as Batman would process the evidence and approach the perpetrator from one side, he would live inside the life of the victim as they approached their death. Wow. Jeez. Dark. Yeah, talk about dark, but I mean, it's Warren Ellis, so. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that, I, this, this is, it reminds me a little bit of the conversation we had about Scott Snyder's book, uh, the, the one with the Joker head. And oh, everything. Last Night on Earth. Yeah, Last Night on Earth. It, it feels reminiscent of that, of like, this is, so it's kind of like trite almost at this point because we've seen this kind of story about Batman so many times. But like it's a really good creative team. And the reason we've seen so many stories like this is because Batman's really rich for this kind of story. So like just because it's something we have seen before, like doesn't mean that it won't be be good. You know, so like I'm I'm, I'm interested in this. Um just because I like this kind of Batman story when it lands and like Warren Ellis is definitely capable of doing some like cool edgy psychological shit. So like, yeah, like let's, I'm, I'm willing to give him like, let him shoot a shot. You know, he's earned it. Yeah. I'm excited to read something by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. I mean, Brian Hitch, he gets really criticism with his art too much. Sure. You are uh, the ultimates. Oh my god! Yeah, oh my god, yeah, this looks super familiar. Okay, yeah, totally. Yeah. I didn't recognize him by name. Uh, I haven't seen anything from him in a while. He gets a lot of criticism for different reasons, but you can't really argue with the fact that his art is phenomenal, or at least I don't think you can. Um, so this is a great creative team. Obviously, they had a lot of success in the past, so I'm hoping they uh, strike pay dirt again. Yeah. I mean, a 12-issue maxi is, like, a great opportunity for something really good. So. We're seeing it now with uh, uh, Grant Morrison's Green Lantern. And you'll be able to peer into Batman's grave on October 6th when the first issue drops. Cool. Right around time for Halloween, so. And Comic-Con. Let's get spooked. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about the Eisners. The Eisners happened on Friday night. I refuse and, to acknowledge the Eisners. They snubbed my man. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we we were pulling for um, for our boy Chris Sabella and the entire gang. Of course, Ted and Roe and everyone uh, from Crowded. And unfortunately, they didn't win. Now, I, I do want to say, I I've said this before. I'll say it again. I, I don't really pay much attention to the Eisners. I often feel that they like, similar to the Oscars, I guess. Um, the Oscars is the one for acting, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, similar to the Oscars, 
they talk about a lot of books that I'm not reading and rarely seem to like it seems like a seems like a contest of how obscure you can you can be with with the books that you like but um you think I mean I don't know there's a lot of like mainstream representation too I guess uh I often look at these lists and don't know a single name on them uh, like best short story I only know the winner uh so yeah, but I mean, like, you look at, like, Best Limited, it's, like, almost all, it's DC, Vertigo, DC, DC, Marvel, um, Best Continuing is DC, Dark Horse, Image, uh, Boombox, Marvel, Marvel, you know, it's, like, th- th- there's definitely a lot of Marvel in DC, at least on th- this year, you know, I-, I-, I can't really speak to, I guess, like, you know, uh, like years past, because I I would say that I agree with you generally. Where I don't I wouldn't say I really pay attention to the Eisners that much. I like we'll see who wins, and if it's like a book that I like wins, I'm like great, awesome, good for them. Like they got the recognition of their peers and everything. That's really cool. But it's not a thing that like I pay too much attention to. Yeah. So let's go through uh, some of the categories and some of the winners. Um, interestingly, best short story was won by. The Talk of the Saints, which was by Tom King and Jason Fabok in the Swamp Thing Winter Special, which we specifically uh, read on the air and didn't like. We, we reviewed it and weren't fans of that story, so kind of interesting. Batman is on here for Best Continuing Series, and I, I actually just read not the most recent issue, but the one before that, and I couldn't believe how bad it was. And it's it really sucks to feel that way, but it's it's just so bad. And there's been a string of issues that have been bad, and so I'm not quite understanding where this um, nomination is coming from because that book is just not good. I mean, look, everyone has different tastes, so I'm not trying to just say the book is trash and no one can like it. Obviously, people can like it, but I feel that way. And a lot of the commentary surrounding the book has not been positive, so I'm just kind of not clear on. This, why uh, it's getting that attention right yeah but uh in any event uh best single issue or one shot was actually won by chip zdarsky for his work in peter parker the spectacular spider-man number 310 which is rad congrats to chip zdarsky yes and uh didn't he get on stage and kind of get wacky <laughs> Yeah, he sure did. Uh, it killed me, man. If, if he's a great uh, social media follow if you don't already. But so I follow him on Instagram. And uh, let me just pull it up so that I can, like, read exactly what it was. Um, so I don't, like, butcher it because it, it, it was good. Um, okay. So he posts a, a three, like, a three-image gallery, right? And the first one is... The, the best single issue announcement, right? Next one is him up on stage. It's a picture of him, and it's from at uh, fanbase underscore press, and it's quoting him. I'm fucking drunk, and I fucking love this community. <laughs> <laughs> then the next picture is a picture of him laying in bed, covering his face because he's, like, hungover with his eyes there, and the caption is, what happened? What did I do? <laughs> so fantastic. It sounds like my man was really fucking thrown aback and maybe did not expect that he was going to win. <laughs> because, uh, but, I mean, that's also Chip Zdarsky. Go check out our interview when I, that I did with him. He's a character, man. He'll play to the camera, so. Yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. 
He's he's a he's a really he's a fun guy. So I and I, I I'm a big fan of his work in general. So I'm happy to see him. You know his his career continuing to uh, grow as he gets more and more attention, and you know he's kind of like becoming one of the the premier guys at Marvel. Eisner Award winner. So, Multiple Eisner Award winner now. At this point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my man's cleaning up as a writer and an artist. <laughs> so over in the best continuing series category, we mentioned Batman being nominated. There were a bunch of different nominations, including the Immortal Hulk. Um, which and I'm shout surprised. out to uh, yeah. Black Hammer, too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to yeah. all these people. Uh, Giant Days took away the award, uh, which... I guess I hear about some. Um, I, this is a book that I, I feel like is like a sleeping giant. Because, like, I remember I picked up the first trade at Comic-Con, like, two years ago or something like that. And, like, Marco and I both, like, got into it a little bit. And I, I think Marco still might still read it. But it's, like, it's a big book for them. Like, it sells, like, quite a bit. And, like, it's got a it's got a following. Awesome. Congrats to the entire creative team on that. Um, I really thought Immortal Hulk would take it. But um, I kind of did too. I was surprised to see that that didn't get more nods because it's like, I mean, like, I mean, I guess to be fair, like for best continuing series, like Giant Days maybe deserves attention because it's like an indie book that has been going for years and years and still has like install and like Immortal Hulk is like, you know, it's like an, it's like a, the new hotness. But like, I'm surprised it didn't get more attention. I feel like that's the book I've heard people talking about the most this year. It's like the new thing. So best limited series had titles such as Batman White Knight, Eternity Girl, uh, Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, which is pretty cool that that's on there. Shout out. Yeah. Um, and X-Men Grand Design, but the winner was Mr. Miracle. And this one also kind of tweaked me, not because Mr. Miracle wasn't good, but because I think X-Men Grand Design is doing something so insanely special. And the recognition is in the nom, right? So that's that's, that's fine. Sure. It's just so different than all these other books. And so good that I really would have loved for Ed Pisker and for Marvel if this were to take the uh, take away the, the award here. Yeah, I, I will say I feel like... Mr. Miracle was one of the books that seemed most like like when it was coming out I feel like it was really like a part of the public consciousness you know like every like I felt like a lot of people were talking about it and were singing its praises and it was like a book that was really like hot for a long period of time so when you're talking about like looking at these things as like book of the year kind of stuff like I, I get that choice because of like how much excitement around the, that book there was. But I definitely get what you're talking about in terms of, like, giving Grand Design the nod for, like, being an achievement and for, like, creating a, a, a roadmap to, like, a new kind of, like, way to talk about comic book history. You know? Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, we just talked about Giant Days and Immortal Hulk, right? And you said yeah. that Immortal Hulk had um, a lot of people talking about it. Sure. But Giant Days won... For you know, going on for a while. Well, uh, so it should get the principled victory. You think there? Yeah, yeah. Like if if Mister Miracle wins 
for people consistently talking about it and it being quality. And I think Immortal Hulk wins for the same reason. Yeah, because Immortal fair. Hulk has been on everyone's mind the last you know since it started. Um, but you know, congrats to Tom King and Mitch Jarrett, who also both won individually for best writer and best artist, uh, respectively. So they really swept up, and uh, that's yeah. awesome for them. Yeah, and they cleaned up this year, which is crazy. Yeah. Were there any others that stuck out to you, or you ready to move on? Um, no, yeah, I, I think I think we're ready to move on. Um, you know, I just, you know, like, nothing, again, absolutely nothing against Gideon Falls um, by Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrento. Uh, congratulations on Best New Series, but I'm just saying, Crowder got robbed. That's just, you know, hey, <clears throat> shout out to the fact that every single Best New Series nominee is an image book, though. That's insane. Isn't that fucking rad as hell, though? That like, is that's, wild. That, like... Image, bro. Like, <laughs> just they they put out all the new books. So, <laughs> I wonder how pissed people are about Man Eaters being on there. Yeah, I mean that's a weird one too. Why? I mean, just like not not weird one. I just weird that like it it is so divisive, right? Like, obviously, like there's there's a huge vocal contingency of people that like fucking hate that book just because of what it is. Yeah, I wonder if it would have, um, I mean, I know that there's been criticism of it since it started practically, but I wonder if the nominations were being decided like three weeks ago, if it still would have been nominated. I don't know. Uh, I I think that's a good question, because I think if that same controversy had happened earlier, there's a good chance it wouldn't be on that list. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because I don't feel like, you know, whatever you think matter. about, yeah, I think the work should matter. So Right. Yeah, the quality of the book should speak for itself. Yeah. Um, like, that's what these awards should be about, right? Like, the objective quality of the work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just stumping, because, or, you know, because... They're our friends. <laughs> but shout out to Image. Like, I love that Image is, like, a, a, a studio that, like, builds itself on, like, just making new IP, you know? And, like, that's really cool. Because original stuff is what I want to see in comics. I guess one other one I was a little bit, like, not necessarily disappointed by, um, but one I could have saw it going another way is, again, it's... you. I, I love Mitch Gerads, but like Yannick Paquette for Wonder Woman Earth uh, 1 Volume 2 was a one that I thought was kind of like, I kind of feel like that, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that could go either way. Yeah, I think there's so much hype around the Tom King, Mitch Gerads train that yeah. they're, they're kind of just like unstoppable mm-hmm. when it comes to the Eisners and, you know, I don't know. I think uh, I think Mitch is tremendous, but I think all these people are tremendous. So yeah, I'm just like I'm just like a huge fan of Yannick's work. Oh yeah, he's, like he's also uh, we have like four, three or four great interviews with him. Like Phil's done a bunch of sit downs with him at Comic Cons, and they don't just talk about like what's current. Like they've gotten deep, like twenty minute great conversations. So if you're a fan of Yannick's work as well, uh, go check those out. Phil did a great job with those interviews. Um, uh, sure but did. yeah, Yannick's a, a hell of an artist. So I, 
and I think his work on Wonder Woman Earth 1 Volume 1 and 2 was like really exceptional. All right, so we're going to move into the actual San Diego Comic-Con announcements. Um, there's a lot to cover, but we're not covering absolutely everything. And also, we can only cover the stuff that's happened for us at Saturday morning. So um, there will be a lot more, and all that stuff will be covered next week. So movie stuff, all that stuff is next week. This week is purely the comic stuff, and most of it's from DC. So you know, keep that in mind as we go forward here. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna start with some Marvel announcements. So Marvel teased the return of 2099. So obviously, uh, 2099 is Marvel's like future stories, um, starring Spider-Man 2099. I think there's a Punisher 2099. There's all kinds of characters from there um for me personally spider-man 2099 is actually my favorite overall spider-man costume dude that's like such a i feel like that's the most iconic thing from the 2099 because that costume is just so fucking cool crazy man who doesn't love that costume yeah um so marvel announced it kind of in a weird way i guess they put up a an image that says 80 years ago it was 1939 80 years from now it will be 2099 uh which is sort of like all right well who gives a shit what it was 80 years ago um oh okay i get it now ha 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 80 years ago was when marvel was founded was it yeah because 80 it's they're timely. doing the yeah they're doing the um marvel 1000 and the reason they're doing it is because it's eight. It's been eighty years. Oh shit! Okay. So yeah. yeah. So that there you go. Yeah. All right. Okay. It makes that's sense. pretty cool, man. That's nah, clever. All right. Okay, Marvel. Hats <laughs> off. I was thinking you guys were just being silly. All right. Listen, well I'm, the fir- I'm the first one to make fun of terrible marketing, but that's pretty clever. <laughs> well, now that now that we understand, um, it's so- also super cool that they just tweeted out that picture with just twenty ninety nine. Hashtag Marvel Comics. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, right, Marvel. You know this is hype as fuck. <laughs> do you uh, do you care about this from a actually reading the books perspective? Um, not broad across a line, but if they come out and they're like, "Yo, we're doing a, like a new Spider Man twenty ninety nine with Miguel O'Hara, and like it's got a cool creative team, and it's like." You know, and it's good. Like, yeah, I might, I might pick that up. I think Spider Man twenty ninety nine is cool as hell. Okay, yeah. Um, I have a real soft spot for him. Like when I was first expanding my like, you know, view of like, oh, there's all these different Spider Man or whatever. It's like he's just so cool, you know. And like that world is so cool. And like if they can recapture that magic and tell some cool new stories in that setting, like that's something I could definitely be interested in. I I'd be interested in it, but it really, really, really depends on the creative team. Generally, I don't like to read stories that don't matter too much. So, like Batman Beyond, right? I love Batman Beyond. However, his stories don't matter, so I don't buy them. And the creative team, whatever it is, isn't strong enough on its face. Maybe the stories are great, but on its face, they're not names that draw me in. So it's really going to depend on who's working on this. So, 
Yeah, um, to me, I think yeah. it's it's more attractive to me for that reason because since it doesn't matter, I feel like the they'll be allowed to do more. Like if it's a really good creative team, you know, like if it's people that you see and you're like, oh, I'm excited about that team, and they have the freedom to just like tell a story with this character with no strings attached. That's exciting. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'm. I'm 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 optimistic to see what it is that they try to do. Here's my thing. I feel like if they have a dope artist attached and like the first time they put out a cover image with that fucking suit, you're going to be like, "All right, I'll check it out." Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if it's dope it's as fuck, possible. it's like, "All right, I mean, <laughs> you got me." Yep. So, uh, Solid Man's writing it and uh, somebody really cool drew it. <laughs> that would actually be that would actually be sick. That'd be very, very awesome. It could be cool. Yeah. So we did have a couple Spider-Man announcements. It would be no Comic Con without some Spider-Man talk. Um, Amazing Spider-Man Full Circle is going to be coming out in October. So this is they're labeling it as a one-shot that teams Spider-Man with Shield for a global adventure. Um, it's got. <laughs> one hell of a creative team. Yeah, that's uh, one way to put it, man. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman, so already. Uh, Jerry Duggan, Al Ewing, Chip Zdarsky, Kelly Thompson, and Jason Aaron on the writing end. With the artists being Chris Bacallo, Chris Sprouse, Greg Smallwood, Michael Allred, Rachel Stott, Valerio Shitty. Shitty? I think not Shitty. Shitty, yeah, not Shitty. Um <laughs> Cameron Stewart and Mark Bagley. So, very, very awesome squad. Yeah. And this is the synopsis. A summons from S.H.I.E.L.D. leads Peter Parker into a globe-spanning adventure that will test him as never before. One in which the future of all mankind lies in his gloved, webbed hands. Who is the mysterious prisoner in the steel box who keeps propelling the wall crawler forward or onward? Nick Spencer and his all-star team of Marvel's biggest writers and artists take up the challenge to create the wildest, maddest, most unconventional Amazing Spider-Man story of all. Guest starring Nick Fury, Wolverine, and Peter Parker. Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. Interesting. Uh, I don't get much out of the synopsis, personally. It's more the creative team. For me, um... The creative team is obviously definitely attractive, and I think that, like, this sounds fun, and it, it kind of reminds me of... Th- there's a lot of, like, fun Spider-Man stories that are, like, him in weird kind of, like, situations that are, like, above his pay grade like this, you know? Um, and those are those are often an opportunity for a lot of just, like, really cool situations you know because like i think for me like my favorite amazing spider-man era is definitely you know um the kind of like mid to late 80s stuff and there was like that weird period where like he was getting into a lot of the supernatural stuff and then like you know venom showed up obviously and there was like a lot of just like we're, we're pushing outside of some of the stuff that we've done more traditionally and like put
putting him in new scenarios and like getting like into these weird or like oh like Nick Fury and Captain America showed up for like two issues we're gonna take you on this weird issue this mission because we need someone who can climb through vents you know and he's just like all right fine I guess like yeah you know like I I I like those kind of Spider-Man stories so like the idea of like a short mission where Nick Fury's like I need someone with your very specific skills and also the team includes Wolverine and Peter Parker or whatever it's like yeah all right whatever like let's see what let's see that could be fun also this cover's crazy it has like Sp- what is that? Spider wolf, spider dog. Like it looks is- like a spider, like werewolf. Yeah. Like and P- Peter Parker look. Porker looks like he's in the background. They got Peter in the stealth suit. There's like here's another one where it looks like it's a Wolverine, like uh, a werewolf's birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if these are hints or just rent. Like I don't, I don't know. I don't think we're supposed to be able to piece this together, but. Uh- it looks pretty wild. There's a lot of werewolves, dude. I think this is a werewolf story because there's a person who's giving him a cake and it looks like maybe a vampire. They got like elf, long elf dude, ears. Dude, that's Aunt May. Aunt May's a vampire? Yes. No, I don't know. That, that's Aunt May. She's just old, an old lady, right? I think so, but it looks like she's a vampire. She's got long fingernails and pointy elf ears. All right, so she got a manicure and she just has long ears. And then look, there's this dude over here, like near the cake. There's a hand, and it's also got like sharp fingers. And then there's werewolf and like a cartoon werewolf spider dog. I think there's werewolves. And look at the bottom right. It's like Nick Fury, and he's got a gun, and looks like there's a werewolf, bro. This is a werewolf story, and I'm all in on Spider-Man and Nick Fury fighting werewolves. It sounds cool. All right, I'm here for it. <laughs> sounds weird as fuck, but like, whatever. Full yeah. circle? Do you think that has to do with, like, the moon cycles? Oh. I'm telling you, this is a werewolf story. How are you going to bury the lead and be like, oh, it's a, we got a, it's a mysterious prisoner? Werewolves! Lead with the werewolves, guys! <laughs> <laughs> they could have just said, uh, Amazing Spider-Man deals with werewolves, and this is the creative team. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right, that sounds cool, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So, in addition, Mary Jane is getting a solo series. Which that, is... That's it. Yeah, okay. Weird. Just because, like... I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess she's been, like, relevant again, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. She's very prevalent in the current spider-man run and she's you know she's been popping up around his world for years she's never really left the book for a significant amount of time but i don't know about a solo series it just seems odd it's it's going to be called the amazing mary jane by leo williams and carlos gomez so good creative team to be sure but i just don't get what uh i don't get what this would be about is it supposed to be an ongoing or is it just like a short term thing um it, it says right here spinning out of the pages of amazing spider-man you just hit the jackpot all new ongoing series there you go <laughs> yeah the webhead's favorite redhead is taking a chance on her dreams but if you've read asm number 25 you'll know mysterio is behind mary jane's big shot and someone worse is behind him What's real and what's illusion? What's illusion and what's Hollywood phoniness? This fall, Leah Williams and Carlos Gomez 
bring you all this intrigue plus more action, glamour, grit, and we'll say it, sass, than anyone's previously dared to fit in five fabulous issues. Face it, you don't want to miss this. Okay, so is it an ongoing or is it five issues? They called it an ongoing and then they said it's five issues, so it's five issues. All right. Okay, so it's a mini. Um... (laughs) That's that's that makes sense. I I don't know. Like it's weird, but like it's not unheard of. They've done stuff like this before. If if Phil was here, he'd be like, you know, back in the back in the the fifties, uh, one of the most popular books on the shelf was actually Lois Lane's books. You know, and and they would just deal with all kinds of of stuff. You know, so I don't know. <laughs> I think it's I think it makes sense. It, you know, it'll it'll make sense in retrospect, right? If yeah. it ends up being good and it ends up being worth t- worth your while, oh yeah, of course it makes sense. But if it ends up being random and dumb, then it then made no like, sense. Yeah, it's like why? Yeah, so we'll see. But I I, I feel like uh, that that's a very capable creative team, right? And I I, I like uh, Leo Williams, so hopefully it does work out for them. Sounds like it could be good. Yeah. Uh, so, Doctor Doom is getting another solo series. I'm into that. I figured you might be. I wasn't even going to talk about this because I don't give a shit, but I thought you would like it. I love Doctor so, Doom. So, Chris Cantwell, who actually created the AMC series Halt and Catch Fire, will be teaming up with artist Salvador LaRocca, who's done a lot of... He's been all over the place at Marvel, especially their Star Wars line, to tell what is probably going to be a really interesting story. Uh, with Doctor Doom. So, Marvel describes it as the following. After spending much time war- warring against, warning against a trillion-dollar global effort to create the first artificial black hole, Doom is now wrestling with visions of an entirely different life and a better future. But when a massive terrorist attack results in massive casualties, Doom is the prime suspect. What will happen when Doctor Doom is running from the law and himself? Here for it. That sounds fucking awesome. So another article that I read about this just uh, mentioned that he's being framed, which is not included in that synopsis. So I I, I don't know what to necessarily believe, but um, this does sound cool on its face. I don't the art know. Looks what- good too. I mean, like just the cover. It's like very. Yeah. I love it. Like the bit he gets just a real close up on his face. He's got these crazy veins in his eyes and he's bathed in this red light. Like you can definitely like get that Star Wars vibe, right? Like you said. Yeah. Salvador. Yeah, Salvador's art is I don't know. It's it's hit or miss. I like it a lot sometimes, especially on Darth Vader. Thought it was pretty good. But there are also times even in that same book where it just feels like he phones it in. Like, he delivers extremely basic layout sometimes. So I hope know. that's not the case here. Right. And then Chris Cantwell, I literally don't know who he is or what Halt and Catch Fire is. A, yeah, I've never seen that TV show. Like, I've heard of it, but I, I because there was, like, commercials for it when I was watching The Walking Dead, you know? So Right. I, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I'm inclined I like to do Doom. so. I, I also like Doctor Doom. I'm more interested in him at the moment... In terms of how he feels about Reed Richards being back. So shifting away from that, I don't know. I don't know how to take that, but we'll see. The book could be good, as Phil is wont to say. So 
also dropping in October. I feel like every announcement we've talked about is an October book. Yeah, yeah. It's a stacked part of the year, I guess. Yeah, uh, typically I, I, would, I would say so. Um, it's funny because they're announcing all this stuff at one Comic-Con and all these books will be releasing around the time of New York Comic-Con. Yeah, which is really, really fucking considerate, you guys. Thank you so much. It's not like I have to go to Comic-Con and cover it and then also like read like 19 books so that we can like do our goddamn jobs. I remember one year I was we were we were all working for a particular website and I had to write reviews and go cover the show the same days. It was it was outrageous. Yeah, it's um, uh, good times. And that was when they launched. Oh God, um, that was when they launched. Gosh, what was it called? Um, all new was it all new all different might have been it was it was right after secret wars what but, the hell uh, was that called i don't remember Whatever. what that relaunch Doesn't was matter. called yeah but uh in any event thanks marvel and dc for that matter so that's actually it for the marvel announcements on this side of the fence we don't know what they're going to be talking about later today tomorrow so we'll we'll hit you guys with that stuff um, next week. But was there anything, Pete, that you know you're really excited by that we talked about from Marvel so far? Um, I I could honestly see being interested in any of these things. You know, like they're not necessarily um 100 knockouts for me, but like I could definitely see myself getting into the Doctor Doom book. I'm a big fan of Doom, and a like a well executed Doctor Doom story is something I'll definitely be interested in. But like. You know, obviously, it's kind of like a creative team that's a little bit fresh. So they'll either impress or underwhelm, you know, and I, I don't know yet. I'm not familiar with either of them enough to to know what, what where that's going to go. The Mary Jane thing is the kind of thing where it's like if it's good, like if I hear that it's good and it's worth reading, I'll check it out. Otherwise, I probably won't. Um, full circle, like I said, that sounds like a lot of fun. And then the creative team attached, like it being like a big, like goofy event book, like I'm down to push to read that on the show and like, you know, make a thing of it. And I, I think I'll, I think I'll have a lot of fun with that. I'm totally down to watch Spider-Man fight werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think the one I'm most excited about is, is the 2099 return. Right. Because I think there's the most potential there to do something like new and fresh and like interesting because you look at like, you know, Miguel O'Hara as a character and like, there's not many stories about Spider-Man 2099. Like, he's cool as fuck. He has a sweet costume and a cool setting. And, like, I feel like this this stage is set for him to, like, have a renaissance and be a relevant character. Um, particularly because, for the same ar- argument I made about Wonder Woman, like, how, how long ago, where it's like, there's not this, like super super rigid firm idea of this is who he is and who he's gotta be and whatever it's like kind of like there's only like really like one major arc you know so like acknowledge what you need to acknowledge from that arc and like fucking bring it home you know like give me a cool book about that character that's got the freedom to do what it wants to do because it doesn't need to be tied to anything else really like Maybe it crosses over with one of the other 2099 books that come out or whatever, but whatever. Like, that's fine. Um, I feel like there's a lot of potential there for something that's, like, valuable. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, and that would be my choice as well. 
the rest of this stuff is like interesting and fun, but uh, I think that one. Oh shoot! You know what? I forgot something. I totally forgot something. This is what I'm most excited about. Marvel teased the return of Annihilation. Okay, see, I thought you were skipping that one. I was like, oh, all right, jeez. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's my mistake. No, Annihilation is coming back. So uh, they released a teaser image by Ariel Olivetti, and it just has the the, the word the Annihilation and in, in the, the font of the original story, and it says Annihilation is only the beginning with Annihilus on the cover looking awesome. This yeah. is so cool. I'm so excited for this. I know if Phil was here, he'd be way excited as well. This is like I, super up your alley. Yeah, I love Annihilus, and uh, I hope that they're taking this seriously in terms of bringing him back, and this can really be something. Um, Marvel has done, uh, discounting whatever this is, Marvel has four things that they're calling events out this year. It's hard for me to believe that they'd push out a fifth one. Um, but November 2019 is not that far away. So if there is going to be a fifth event and it's going to be Annihilation-based, then awesome. And it's, you know, and we'll know sooner than later. Yeah. And and by the way, that's all the news we have. We don't know anything else. So maybe we'll get more news um, from them today, you know, through panels or something. Or we might just not hear anything for a little while. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's really it from the cool promo side. image, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Annihilus looks fucking badass. Mm-hmm. So over before we get to the DC side, actually, I wanted to talk about this book. Uh, it's called Undiscovered Country, and it's by Scott Snyder, Charles Soule, and Giuseppe Comencoli. It's an image book. Yeah, pretty that, wild. That okay, so those three names, right? Yeah. And Image Comics, I don't need to know what it's about. Doesn't matter. Right? However It's funny too, because you look at the cover and it's like, shit, well good. I it's good that I don't need to know anything about it, cause like it doesn't tell you too much. I mean it's like America has disappeared. Right. <laughs> right. And actually that's perfect because when you read the synopsis, the story is America has erected its walls and isolated itself from the rest of Earth. And so uh, other countries are now coming to Earth. People from other countries are are, are now not coming to Earth, coming to America to try to see... (laughs) (laughs) To try to see if they have a cure for a disease that's killing everyone outside of America. That is really, really wild. It's a particularly cool concept given our current political climate, you know, Um, and the very, very isolationist nature of the man who leads our country. Um, Now, Charles Soule is actually an immigration lawyer. A lot of people don't know that. I did not know that. Yeah. So for him, uh, he, he mentions that this is a really cool book because it allows him to flex his muscles, his lawyer muscles in comics. That's so. fucking so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love when comics writers are like, oh, in my previous life, I was like a fucking badass successful thing at this other thing. Like, 
Yes, me too. The thing is, that's not his previous life. He is that right now. He Still? Does both. Yes, he does both. What the fuck? That's so... What? He's a novelist. Uh, he's yeah. a... Uh, He's a, he's a novelist, he's a comic book writer, and an immigration attorney. That's fucking insane. What a bad motherfucker. You're awesome, Charles Soule. <laughs> he sure is. But yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I, like, it's a very, very cool concept on its face. Just, you know, like I said, given where we are as a country and what we're going through right now. Um, and like these creators attached to it, like getting to do like a creator owned image title when it's like, you know, you think Scott Snyder, you think DC comics. Um, so like, yeah, I, I, I always love seeing creators of that caliber going to image and being like, this is the story I'm really dying to tell yeah. that I can't tell in Batman, you know? And it's like, all right, cool. Like, fuck yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. That might be the most exciting thing for me anyways of all the announcements that we've gotten so far i definitely agree with that just you know i have a heavy image bias when it comes to that sort of thing like i'm always going to be more excited about like what is the story that scott snyder and charles soul and giuseppe comb common um are just like dying to tell you know like let's see these three creators at the top of their field just do the thing that, like, their passion project, you know? That's always the most exciting work. Giuseppe Comancoli is so effing talented, man. Like, I love his art so much. He did uh, Amazing Spider-Man during the relaunch that I just mentioned that I can't uh-huh. remember the name of. He was the artist there, and it was gorgeous, man. And I I don't know who's going to be inking him, uh, or, or rather, who's going to be coloring him. Both, I guess. Uh because they don't have the announcement here, but it it depends on who it is. In in um in that run, I believe he had Marte Gracia on it, and that was they're they're so good together. So hopefully they can pick him up for this. But uh, this will be out in November, so very exciting. Could be good. Yeah. Now shifting over to the DC side of the spectrum, I want to start with DC's. Meet the Publishers panel that they did on Thursday. It sets the stage, I think, for some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. Uh, DC's going through a lot right now. Lots of change. And a lot of it is weird. So I'm going to read a little bit of what Dan Didio had to say. So it's Dan and Jim Jim Lee that do, do this panel together. It's been a pretty exciting year for us at DC Comics. We got a lot of great stuff going on in the DC Universe. I don't know if you heard this or not, but we made multiple changes to the way we put books out. I know a lot of people are Vertigo fans. I just want to be clear that the fact that the imprint might go away doesn't matter. What's in the books is what matters. What we need to do is give you a destination that makes the most sense. We have a great name, DC Comics. It makes the most sense to us to put everything under that name. What do you think about that? I, I I get what they're saying. I just think that like... I don't know. 
I guess, like, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Because I think when we originally had our Vertigo conversation, um, I was more upset by the idea that DC would not be investing in creator-owned comics rather than the fact that, like, Vertigo as a name was going away. It's more the identity of what that imprint represented to me, you know, and the kinds of books that would come out from a Vertigo, you know? Um, But then they announced that they were doing that new horror imprint with... um, Yeah, Hill House. With Hill House, yeah. So it's like, okay. So, like, if they're going to just keep doing these little, like... I forget what they call them, but, like, the little mini creator run imprints like that instead of vertigo like that's fine i agree like then it really doesn't matter like i'm not as upset about it anymore as soon as the hill house announcement comes out because the thing that i thought that signaled is obviously not the case at least like as a rule yeah yeah um so on the subject of imprints dc made an announcement that they're launching a fourth imprint, which is called DC Graphic Novels for Young Adults. And so this is going to be basically the same imprint as DC Inc. Okay, so, so this is like for teens? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, DC Kids' name is changing to DC Graphic Novels for Kids. Okay, so they have DC Graphic Novels for Kids... DC graphic novels for young adults, then DC, DC Prime, mm-hmm. and then Black Label. Black Label, okay. Also, the pop-up imprints that they have, uh, Wonder Comics, Sandman, all that jazz, <laughs> will no longer be called pop-up imprints, Thank but you. simply pop-ups. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Because that makes them different somehow. Yep. Whatever. DC kills me. I just I just don't... I don't get it. Like, this makes more sense. We wanted to clarify things, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, and also, I really don't understand why you would announce that all of these things are going away and then announce their replacements at a later date if you already knew what, what it was going to be, like... If you're just call, if you're just changing the name of them, why say they're going away? It, it, it just to me, it sends a bad message that they don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's a, it also sends a very confusing message. Yeah, you know, like it's very just like okay, so what? So what's happening now? Like, right? We want we want to get rid of Vertigo so we can like lower like trim the line and like focus more, and then we announce like four more imprints, and it's like whatever, okay, whatever, DC. So, the most interesting thing I think that was said here, and there was a lot said, um, was by Didio. And he said, one of the things we're working on in the DCU is we're building an ultimate timeline. We're building this so we have a better idea where our stories connect. That's where we made our mistake during the New 52. We didn't understand which stories matter, which stories didn't. Once we understand how these characters connect, then we'll be in a place to give you the true history of the DCU. Now, that is very, very interesting because the New 52 failed. And it failed in part because it was so confusing. 
It was so difficult to know what was still canon after the Flashpoint. And certain books like Batman were essentially the same, except that Batman was younger by almost, I think, 10 years or so, except he still had a nine-year-old child and still had all the same people be Robin in a very, very truncated space. I forget the exact amount of time he had been Batman to that point. It was either five or 10 years. But somehow within that space, it had to be 10 years. Within that space, he managed to have all of these experiences and it didn't it didn't make sense. How can you have a child like Damien who is 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that, but only have been Batman for 10 years? That's yeah. crazy. Right? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, especially when you also have like him having the relationship that he has with Dick and Todd, and you know that could right. Like, it doesn't make sense. Dick it literally Gra- doesn't. Dick make sense. Grayson is a, a a man in his late twenties that you met when he was a kid, like a, maybe a teenager at best. That's more than ten years. Yeah, right. Like what Robin when he meets Robin, he, he's or Dick. He's supposed to be like what. 13 maybe right and you Dick know, is like, definitely not 23 in the comics so these kinds of questions these kinds of things that we're having and hawing over were the problems with the batman line but the batman line was treated the best every other line was in a weird space where it was a reboot but not all the way a reboot but a reboot and it was so confusing that it turned people off. And so what Didio is essentially saying here is that they want to try to fix the timeline to make it so that they understand exactly what has actually taken place in DC. And I feel like when you have to do that, you have a serious problem. You're admitting a, a failing. <laughs> and it's good to admit when yeah. you fail, but that you have to figure out what has actually taken place and what hasn't this far after the flashpoint it's like what are we doing here you know it's so crazy and i'm a big fan of connected stories and dan didio has has definitely been um sending that message there's other things that i'm not getting into here where he's been talking about that i think that's all well and good but i just wish they would just do it and not tell me because all the things that DC is saying sound strange, you know, with all these pop-up imprints or I'm sorry, pop-ups that, you know, they're getting rid of or they're bringing back and they're relabeling things and they're canceling things. And it's just a lot. Of it feels overall. kind of hollow because they're doing so much and like it feels like they're doing it a little haphazardly. Yes. And I personally get a message and I don't know if this is right or wrong. But I'm getting a message that there's like fear at DC, that something is wrong and they're they're trying very hard to fix it because they're in danger. Uh, now, I want to read something else from the Meet the Publishers panel where Dan Didio expressed frustration with something that DC themselves published. So they published the facsimile editions of classic comics, which are just reprints of older issues that they put out again with everything intact. So it's the exact same thing, even including like old ads, which sounds pretty cool, cool, right? I like that. 
And so Didio brought it up and asked how many people in the audience read them. No one answered, and Didio said, good, that's the one I was hoping we wouldn't hear applause for. We do these facsimile editions where we reprint older issues of comics, including all the old ads and stuff. And in some cases, these are selling more than the new comics with these characters. People are more interested in buying the stories from 30 or 40 years ago than the contemporary ones, and that's a failure on us. We should be focused on moving things forward always pushing the boundaries and finding new stories to tell. That's how we'll survive and grow in this industry. What the hell is that about? That's weird. Right? I didn't even know that those were a thing, and the fact that they're selling more than than actual like comics is very strange to me. I don't... Very strange. I mean, maybe, but I don't care. Like, I want the money if I'm Dan Didio. I want the cash. If if people want to buy that, let them buy it. Why would you say that it bothers you? I don't understand well, that. I, I don't think he should say it bothers him because like he is in a like position of you know authority, and I think that makes the company look bad. But I also think that like I get where he's coming from because I think that like the 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 future of your company can't be built on the past. You know, like there's nothing wrong with people wanting to buy those. And like, I think it's a cool idea. Like I said, like, um, but I understand the concern of being like, yeah, like if people are buying this and not buying the actual comics that we're trying to invest in the future of, like, that does seem like that represents a failure of, of what they're doing. And as the person in charge, I would be concerned about that, you know? But that's a that's a huge assumption that if people that if that wasn't on the shelves they would choose something else. You don't know that, you know, not you, Pete, but as no, yeah, as yeah, Dan I Didio, you like, mean. Yeah. You, you don't know that. You sure. don't know why people are buying that. Like, I'm I'm willing to bet <clears throat> that there are a lot of people who walk into comic book stores. We talk about the, the the comic shop experience all the time. A lot of people walk into a comic book store, see a classic edition of Batman that that isn't necessarily like um it, like it's not a one shot but it's also not batman 73 by tom king you can look at that and go oh that's so cool it's the old batman like my dad used to have these comics it's an I'm, experience yeah i want to read this you know and you read it and like, yeah, okay, it's 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 a random issue of Batman. It's probably a lot more accessible than any literally any Batman comic that's on the shelves right now. Most likely. And I could easily see a parent going in and buying that for a kid, an adult who's la- a lapsed fan walking into a comic book shop and wanting something recognizable to them because they haven't read Batman in 20 years. Or a, a a younger person who's like, oh, that's so awesome. I want to check that out because my dad had those. Like, it, it hits, it checks every box. Whereas modern comics don't necessarily check every box. I don't understand why that would be a problem for you as the publisher when you have to know everything I just said. Right, yeah. That has sure. to be clear to you. But he's a creator too, so I'm sure he's, can, like, it's coming from that perspective as well you know of like like I, I get i get why that's a concern for him even though if it's like financially good for the company you know even but he, again even as a creator that's that's a different like 
it's not the it's not one to one. I don't know. Like yeah. that's a not that's not necessarily the same audience. Yeah. So if you can't please those people anyways, why not just service them and shut up about it? Yeah. The Which other, is like what they should do, and like I guess they are, right? right well, not so, because he's saying he doesn't like it. Right. The other weird thing is you're the publisher. So if you it, don't it, like it... It very much speaks to like a leadership that's not agreeing. Yes. Right? Yes. Like it, it, it's the kind of thing of like... it. it, it T- to me, right, like the thing that I said, I, I would like I- liken it to something if it like, you know, like if we as a group, right, the comics pals made a decision, we're going to do this, this show, right? And, and I didn't like the idea, right? But I got outvoted or whatever, and it was successful, and it proved to be a good idea. I wouldn't publicly go on my Twitter and be like, well, you know, I still hate this show and I think it's a dumb idea, you know, or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you, you, you make, you make the people whose idea it was like, like embarrassed, you right. know, where you're, you're talking shit about this thing that like worked for the company and like was a success and like you're, yeah, like I, I totally get where you're coming from on that level. But I, I'm saying, I, I guess all I'm saying is not to defend that action but to defend his line of thinking in terms of that not being healthy for the future of the company maybe that's a short-term win right now what happens when public curiosity in comics wanes you know um but to the point that you made uh modern superhero comics are probably the least accessible least accessible excuse me um like form of of popular media that you could try to get into period yeah Without question. And then the other thing that I wanted to put, there was just two more things, um, is what books are, are Dan Didio talking about? Because if you're comparing the sales of like, I don't know, um, Batman, current Batman, right, to a facsimile edition of Batman, well, current Batman has a problem. Right. <laughs> right? Sure. Um, if you're comparing it to, let's say, a facsimile edition of Batgirl, right? I don't know what's happening in the current Batgirl. I have no clue. This, a facsimile edition of Batgirl, for example, just an example, stands out more than a current issue of Batgirl. 100%. Right. Because right now, like, that brand is just not, it's not resonating. You know, not that it's maybe not good, but it's it's not like, it's not a number one book, right? Like, it's not, it's not hitting the mass market in the way that Batman is. Most books being published are doing uh, superhero comics are just going through the motions. They're doing yeah. what they're doing. It's more of the same it, shit. It's no, no discredit to the creators. I know they're all working very hard. I'm not trying to slight anybody. It's difficult to tell big, exciting stories in superhero comics when they a lot of times won't let you do what you want to do. It yeah, is what it is. constraint. Right. You know? It's hard to make your book attractive on the stands when you're dealing with that. And you look at this cover in this Newsarama article that they that they use an ex- as an example. This cover looks cool as shit. I'd buy that right now. You know? Like, and so Joe Hill, 
uh, went on stage. Yeah, that and, is a really cool cover. <laughs> right? And specifically wanted to talk about this. And he said, I want to defend the facsimile editions for a minute. The reason they sell so well is if you're an older reader who has kids who are going crazy for comics, you're going to buy the facsimile edition because those are the stories you knew and loved as a kid. So for people who don't know, who didn't know them, they're not new, but they are new. And he's completely right. Yeah, I also love that Joe Hill is the one who said this. I'm like, bro, you just got hired here and you're already like fucking shit. His career yeah, is like, you know. Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. But it's yeah. awesome. Like that's yeah. like that's big balls. Like he just started at DC. He hasn't even published a book and he's like, "Nah, bro, like fuck you my boss." Like <laughs> It's your boss who said that, bro. Yeah. That's <laughs> fucking hilarious. So, I don't know. I'm just get that just gave me weird uh energy. Yeah, and, no, uh, I feel you. Yeah. Honestly, you know, it's the the funniest thing is my takeaway is I kind of want to go buy one of those facsimile issues and check it out. Right? Yeah. I don't know what the goal was with that. And again, it's just more mixed messages and weird signaling from DC. And I wish they would have a united front. And when you look at Marvel, they don't have this problem because the person whose voice you are supposed to listen to is... Really, C.B. Sobolski. And that's it. He's the one guy. Whether you don't like him, you don't, you like him, whatever, that's fine. That's the voice. That's the voice. And he doesn't really say a lot of controversial things when he's speaking in interviews. When he's on Twitter, he, he does have a bad tendency of like saying bad stuff about people who work for him. Not specific people, but like generalities. But he's just the guy who... You know, says, oh, hey, we're coming out with this book and you're going to love it. That's it. That's all he says. Dan Didio should think about that, I think, personally. Uh, and also, by the way, Doomsday Clock number 11 is delayed. Yay. Again. Yep. Don't even want to talk about it. Just want to say that and move on because it's bullshit and it's My heart annoying. hurts, Sean. Yep. Uh, <laughs> moving on, Jeff Lemire is going to be. Returning to DC, and he's got two new Black Label books on the way. The one first of them of the, is very appealing, and the other one stars the Joker. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first up is Joker Killer Smile, which again is coming out in October, and this is going to see Jeff Lemire team up with Andrea Sorrentino, who he worked on Green Arrow with. And I feel like they also worked on Hawkeye, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, so that book is going to be essentially Joker in prison, uh, Ar- Arkham oh Asylum, and trying to work over the mind of an individual who works at Arkham, a doctor, uh who he is trying to manipulate in order to free him. Could be good. I just, it's hard for me to get excited about the Joker. I don't mean to be shitty. Well, let's see. They're doing, um, they're doing this. They're doing the three Jokers. And then there's one more Joker book that I can't think of at the moment. Uh, that's going to be coming out. So it's like a lot of Joker. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm just, that's not, I'm not excited about it. If it's good, it'll be good. Like, Jeff Lemire's, you know, great. I, you know, we'll see. 
Yeah. But the other one, so I'm very interested in. The other one is uh, is uh, it's a question story. What's the exact title? The exact it's title is the question: the, oh. the deaths of Vic Sage. And so Jeff Lemire is going to be teaming with Dennis Cohen and Bill. I always trip up on his last name. I'm sorry. Sinkowitz. Uh, uh, Bill Sinkowitz. Yeah. Sinkowitz. Legendary figure. Uh, so they're going to be teaming up to tell a story about the question. And uh, that's really, really awesome. So here's what, uh, here's what uh, comicbook.com has over about this story. Building on the legacy of Dennis O'Neill and Cohen's previous runs, it begins in, in an early hub city where an unresolved, unsolved mystery has led to the demise of the question, and history will soon repeat itself. Beginning in the Old West and continuing through the lawless 1930s, the answers needed to solve the problem are out of reach and may doom the question once again. The faceless man who believes in absolutes, will soon find himself in a world where it all blends together, and escaping this trap is the only way to set himself free. Cool. Yeah, that sounds cool to me, man. Yeah, I like the question. Um, me too. I love, like, noir, like, you know, detective stories. So yeah. He's a cool character. Yeah, I think this has this has big-time potential. Um. And uh, I'll definitely be checking it out. And to be honest, I'll check both out. I'll be definitely checking out uh, both of these titles. I'll give the Joker one a shot. For me, the the question one is, this is definitely the announcement from DC that's got the most heat for me. Cool. So the one that has the most heat for me is actually the last one we're going to be talking about today. And it is pretty weird. So they announced Tales from the Dark Multiverse, which is a series of one-shots that take a look at big events and moments from DC's history, but take the most pivotal part of it and stretch it out. So as a quick example, and this is one of the books they're actually doing, if when Batman got his back broken by Bane, he never became Batman again. What would have happened? Well, if you read Nightfall, then you know that uh, Asriel takes over for a little while, but he's crazy, right? So Batman comes back. Well, this is what if Batman never came back and Asriel stayed as Batman or as Asriel, whatever, um, for uh, I think think it's 30 years. You know what, man? This is really cool. Yeah. I might be more excited for these for the, than the question. I, love, <laughs> I, lo- I love Elseworlds, man. And then the only person who can challenge him is the son of Bane. What? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it's like Bane broke Batman's back. Asriel replaces Batman. Bane's son, 30 years later, becomes Asriel's rival to save Gotham. So kind of a crazy twist. That is and cool. That's going then to be he'll become Batman at the end. Right. <laughs> that's going to be co-written by Scott Snyder and Kyle Higgins with art by Javier Fernandez. So that's to me that sounds awesome. I can't wait for that. The other one that they've specifically announced is Tales from the Dark Multiverse: The Death of Superman. 
Now, this is going this to be sick. Yeah. This is Jeff <laughs> Loveness and Brad Walker telling a story where Superman dies, right? In the death of Superman. Now, what if he never comes back and Lois Lane actually becomes the eradicator and takes, you know, gets revenge and gets after everyone who, um, who allowed Superman to die and, you know, all the bad people on Earth. That's crazy. Yeah, like, that sounds horrible, and I totally <laughs> want to read that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, I love that kind of shit. It's like injustice, you know? Like, just like those, like, the really, like, dark, like, superhero stories where it's like, what if something really fucked up happened and then you watch the super friends kill each other? (laughs) And then what's also kind of cool is they're going to release dollar issues of one of the issues from the run that these one-shots are, you know, sort of piggybacking on. Yeah. I like that. I love it. But I think it represents a problem, actually. And it's something we kind of, you kind of hinted at a little earlier, which is that DC and Marvel, of course, refuse to stop playing the hits. Yep. And uh, (laughs) they're in a catch-22 because obviously Pete and I both really are excited for this. And I love X-Men Grand Design. And, you know, the new Spider-Man Grand Design that they announced all sounds awesome. But it's all stuff that took place a long time ago. And they're focusing on telling stories in time periods that are old. And that's kind of what Dan Didio was arguing over with the facsimile editions. But what kills me is that the same person who doesn't like that is the same person who's a part of the publishing arm of the company that's publishing these. So this isn't new. Like it's it's a new story, but it's a new story that only exists because of an old story. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that on its face. But, again, I, I think you're right that there's, th- these companies have a huge problem when it comes to uh, nostalgia at being weaponized against them as as much as being their primary export. You know, because, like, I think um, I look at, like, the difference between what they're doing and, like, Two other companies I think of that are totally built on nostalgia in different industries, right, are Nintendo and Disney. And you look at Disney, and Disney is great at leveraging their IP to make money long after it's relevant through merchandise and theme parks and secondary experiences, you know, and, like, finding ways to make it fresh again. And you look at Nintendo... And Nintendo does what uh, Marvel and DC try to do, just more successfully. Where it's like, yeah, we're going back to the same well again and again and again, but you find a way to make it fresh and, you know, make what comes next ideally as as attractive as as what's come before. And with... You know, plenty of missteps along the way, right? Now that they get it right every time. But I feel like Marvel and DC are in this period right now where they are just playing the hits. And when they try to not play the hits, like, the people aren't buying. 
because a lot of it's not, you know, not to say that it's not even good, but like we were just talking about the whole thing with like a Batgirl book, right? Where it's just a monthly book that's stuck in this grind of being a monthly book and it's not one of the marquee titles and it's treading water until they try to shake it up and do something crazy again and try to make it a marquee title. And like books like that are on life support and some people like them, but not enough. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird. It's a weird problem. Yeah. And I think that part of it is when you talk about, let's say, um, let's say Nintendo, they can re-release like Super Mario World whenever the hell they want to and people will still buy it. Um, but it's just a re-release, you know, it's similar to DC putting out a graphic novel of Batman year one, right? It's not the backbone of their business, right? Exactly. They also can't and don't publish a new Mario game every month. They can only publish a new Mario game about every one to two to three years. Um, that's a lot longer of a time to miss something and let it feel special. Batman can't feel special because it comes out all the time. And yeah, Not you even could, just every month, multiple times a month. Right. Exactly. It's twice a month. You could have a special Batman run. There are special runs of stuff all the time. It's just that those runs tend to be runs that take place outside of continuity or are shorter, more focused runs. And so that's why a Mr. Miracle can be really special and get Tom King all the praise on the world, whereas his Batman run is very uneven and people are down on it and it's not selling so great, right? Yeah. When Mr. Miracle ends, right? Yeah. If Tom King had 12 issues to tell a Batman story, what would he do? How different would that be? So that's a big issue. Uh, The most apt example of this problem is actually the WWE. And I won't belabor it because this is not a wrestling show. But the WWE has a problem where the best things they've ever done happened 20 years ago. So the Attitude Era is most people... Like, you're you're not going to find anyone on earth, I don't think, who's not a child. Who's going to say that their favorite time in wrestling happened uh, after, like, 2005. And that's bad. Because it means... That everyone who watches currently is waiting to feel how they felt or is casually watching and don't have the investment level that that you need to keep this thing going. Um, And so they constantly bring back old stars who remind you of a time you loved, but also remind you of why the time that you're in now is not as good. And also like how long ago that time was and how it's passed you know? How it's very past. Yeah. And so... That's why you see them doing all this new stuff now. Like, like the stuff that they're doing with, like, the, the women's division and everything. It's like, that's all new shit. And it's, like, a new era, you know, that they're, like, trying to push here. And it's things. exciting, but it's not as exciting as stuff we've already seen. And comics are in a similar rut in some ways. Like, what... What stories have come out in the last 10 years from Marvel or DC that people regard? 
the way that they regard stories from back then. Right. And of course, we're still in it, right? Like was well, the death of Superman was a classic when it was happening because of the importance of, you know, Superman dying. Right. Um Batman getting his back broken, right? That's a classic thing because it was crazy that it was happening. You can do that 50,000 times after, but it will never be as crazy as the first time. Yeah, and, and I think like hindsight's twenty twenty with all this kind of stuff because it's like I remember seeing a uh, – I follow this page on Facebook where it's like posts that have not aged well. And it was the announcement that Robert Downey Jr. was Iron Man. And it was all these people saying how dumb it was and how it was going to be shit and you know all this like crap like that. And it's like I feel like – Stuff is always, like, reviled when it comes out or, like, there are always a vocal group of people that say something sucks when it comes out and then you look back on it and we have a real opinion about it. So I'm sure that there are plenty of books from this time right now that we'll look back on as being great and as being significant or whatever. But I would argue that I think that this is probably the first time in the history of comic books where this generation I don't think will be defined by books that were published by Marvel or DC. And not that there won't be books in that conversation, but I think when you look back on this era of comics and what were the biggest, most influential books, it's going to be books like The Walking Dead. That's the thing, is we're not even talking about quality right now. We're not. We're talking about relevance. Yeah, exactly. And what what can DC do to take Batman and make him relevant. You know, was he relevant during Scott Snyder's run? I mean, the book was selling, but was he relevant? Is there anything that happened there that's like, oh my God, I'll never forget this? Maybe for some people, but not not the, the soul of comics, right? The way that you felt when you first read Batman Year One or when you first read The Dark Knight Returns. Or, or, yeah, The Dark Knight Returns. That's, that's like, what we're chasing. That's what you know the industry is chasing. You know what's a weird thing, man? I, like, not to keep bringing it back to stuff that's not comics, but it reminds me of Zelda with, like, Breath of the Wild. Where, like, I remember uh, talking about Breath of the Wild when it came out and saying, this is the first time in years that Zelda has felt essential. Right? When's the last time that a Batman book felt essential? to you it i mean it it hasn't it hasn't happened um since the grant morrison run i was just gonna say that yeah and um that was gothic no 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 that's crazy (laughs) um that's the last one (laughs) grant grant's run started over 10 years ago and it ended almost a decade ago so you know and I, I think you can say that about a lot of a lot of stuff from the big two. You know, where there there are big periods of in recent memory anyway, of like just treading water, just playing the hits, just doing what they do until they hit the reset button and like I feel like hitting the reset button the the time between doing it, it, it gets shorter and shorter every time they do it. Without question. And, and you know, Spider-Man feels the same way. When's the last time Spider-Man you really, really cared about, like, deeply cared about what Peter Parker was doing? Like It's been a long time. It's in good the, stuff. In the, in the amazing Spider-Man, you know, like, 
I don't know. I really like like the early 2000s, you know? And it's unfortunate because there are a lot of creators doing a lot of really great work, but it doesn't feel like you like this will stick with you if you read it. And I would love to hear someone give me the counterpoint to that. I guess the counterpoint could be, well, a lot of that stuff you read when you were a kid, and so it sticks with you more. A lot of that stuff, it was the first time you saw something, so the second time, you can't really replicate it, and it gets harder. Every time you do something iconic, it gets harder to do something else iconic. That's a very fair criticism. It just feels like the the times where something happens that it feels... Like you need to be there for it, or you need to pick that issue up, are so far be so far between each other now that you could go a year, two, three, four years without reading Spider Man and not feel like you miss anything tremendous. That's how I feel, you know. And like for a character that I love so much, that means so much to me. It's like it's it's sad, but like I don't know. It's this weird thing of I don't know if it's my age or like the you know the the way that that the comics are being published or you know like what it is but like yeah like i think you're right like i think it, it is this weird thing where it's tough to it's tough to think because like in a lot of ways i'm chasing feelings that were special because i was having them for the first time you know and like can you ever recapture that and the answer is yes because things have, you know, I got that feeling when I saw Into the Spider-Verse. And I'm sure that was a lot of a lot of kids out there's entry point to Spider-Man and the way that sh- like shit was for me a decade ago. That's totally irrelevant to them now, you know, like um, or a decade ago. Jeez, I'm being kind to myself 20 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like maybe that's just like the wheel of time turning and us starting to feel the ramifications of it, you know, in some ways. But like, again, I think on some level that's an excuse because I don't think it's that, that those things can't be essential and can't be that way. Because like, look at Zelda, like look at Spider-Verse, like there are examples of taking those things and finding ways to make them fresh and make them relevant um, and make them essential and not just quality. Because quality isn't essential. I've read so many superhero books that were enjoyable, but I don't remember them. They don't stick with me because they were they were just a story. And, like, maybe everything doesn't need to be essential either. Maybe that's the problem, too, is that we expect too much. You know? That you but something does, right? Yeah. Something has to be essential. Right. Something and w- does. And when you look at the WWE and comics, the one thing that they have in common is that they both have to tell new stories every single week with the same characters. And it's so hard. And I think that, like, legacy, like, is a thing that becomes an anchor around your neck eventually, too. Because it's, like, as much as the fact that your business is built on nostalgia and legacy and history, um, there's a lot of parts of that that don't hold up. And there's a lot of parts of it that, like, hold you back. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting conversation. I'm putting the call out to anyone who reads comics that like superheroes but didn't grow up with them. So if you were inspired to read comics by the movies 
or, you know, just the times we're living in and you got into comics and what your experience with them is primarily is the new stuff. I want to hear from you because I want to know what what comics that are Marvel or DC based you find to be essential. That what like ones books. Yeah, what ones define your readership experience? What ones do you swear by? That kind of stuff. I really, really want to hear from you. So, uh, as usual, you guys can catch us all over the place. We're on all podcast hosting platforms, pretty much. Um, you can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. We want to hear from you guys. Make sure you come back next week. We're going to have more San Diego Comic Con news. We're going to be reviewing uh, House of X number one. Uh, we've got a lot. We've got a lot going on right now. Um, so. Come back to us. We're also interviewing Philip Sevy. So uh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a big episode. And uh, go listen to our book clubs. We've got a ton out. We've got um, Web Spinners Tales of Spider Man that features Mysterio. We've got Hellboy. We've got, you know, we've got stuff for all kinds of things. We've got Phoenix, Dark Phoenix stuff. We've got, we got everything. So go check it out. How are the Ducks coming up in August? So if you want to read that now, go read the Zdarsky run. Um, and you can enjoy the show that we did with our pal Tyler from the Long Box. Uh, actually, I feel like that's the July release. Oh, shit, you're oh. right. That comes out really soon, doesn't it? Oh, no, no, no. The July release is Alex and Ada. Yeah, no, that... okay. So, yeah. yeah, and then Howard's in in August. Yeah. So you still have time to read Alex and Ada as well. It's not a super long book. Um, yeah. But, yeah, go read both of those and then be ready for the book clubs when they drop. Absolutely. Pete Plucks. Thank you so much for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can come talk to me about what you're thinking about the, you know, crisis of consciousness that, or not consciousness of like identity, I guess. Identity crisis. Yeah, identity crisis. Yes. Uh, that, that superhero comics find themselves in, in in 2019. And I will point you towards Robert Kirkman's Invincible as the answer to your prayers. Um, so come talk to me about that and uh, whatever, whatever else you got on your mind this week. Um, like if you saw that Avengers uh, video game leaked footage, maybe you want to chat with me about that. I'm interested in talking about it. Um, so come hit me up. If you want to get some more content from me, you can catch my work over at lootpots.com uh, where I host the uh, podcast, which is our weekly Nintendo podcast and our Patreon show After Dark um and like sometimes write stuff so if you like nintendo or whatever go check it out um as for the rest of the guys you can find kale uh at toto and toe on twitter and instagram uh you can follow find the rest of his comics work and stuff at kaleward.com he does a podcast with his wife called gone global um so go check that stuff out and show him your support marco's at mr marco Anamoto on twitter and instagram phil is at cyborg bebop on twitter and instagram um probably go check out Phil's Instagram of the three because he's got a cute cat. Nice. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Man, hit me up to talk about just comics. I really, you know, just just good comics. What do you like? What are you reading right now? GC, bro. GC. I want to talk about GCs. There you go. So with that, we're the Comics Palestine. Take care, guys. See you next week for more San Diego Comic-Con coverage.